0: Really True Fiction is a podcast exploring famous stories to discover the wisdoms, lessons, insights, and ideas therein. Be advised that there will be heavy spoilers for whatever story we are discussing in this episode, as well as potential spoilers for other stories. Check episode notes or social media posts for additional spoilers. Please note that this podcast contains so many bad words and so many crude observations. If this is not your jam, please don't bring the toast. Welcome to another episode of Really True Fiction. My name is Luke Mason, and I am really excited because for the f- we have a new first, first time ever on RTF. It's my first four way. <laughs> <Really laughs> excited to get my toes wet on this one. Now it is all returning guests, but it's the first foursome we've had. So I'm joined today by
1: Lydia Rollinson,
0: Dan Holder, Graham King, uh, returning champions, I might
2: say. Return of the King, if you will.
0: Uh, Yes, however, um, we will only have one ending (laughs) to this podcast. And I want to give a shout out to Dan and Lydia, as I got a text today from my friend Michelle in Calgary saying that she liked the Order of the Phoenix episode, but especially liked my guests. So I always like Michelle. (laughs) Yeah, she's pretty nice. And Graham, I haven't got any feedback yet on the Orphan Master's Son, which I assume means that it's uh, beloved. Yeah it's and like over no no complaints yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no edits no notes yeah no perfect. notes uh edited um yeah thank you for coming back lydia dan and graham i i can't believe it's kind of mind-blowing that i started this stupid little podcast a few years ago with just me and david i never thought of having four people on before in fact i would have thought that it was like impossible to do a four-person podcast well it may yet yeah, be <laughs> impossible oh well, i have faith
1: Look forward to your feedback on the four-way.
0: I, <laughs> I can't wait. I found a book the other day about how to effectively pull how it off. Full way. It was hidden away underneath a desk in my classroom, and all my friends think it's cheating, but uh, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I want the good grade. <laughs> it's a little Half-Blood Prince joke. Yeah, just yeah <laughs> we got it, we got it. Uh, <laughs> you, some it say, took, buzz- took me a bit, but... <laughs> Uh, some say bizarre, but for me it's bizarre. So. <laughs> that didn't it's, make any sense.
1: It's also a bizarre.
0: <laughs> oh, well, that doesn't work for my joke. Maybe I'm bizarre? Yeah, exactly. So, right. so as uh, you all know, I have a, a question at the start of every episode. So, here it is. It I didn't take me very long to think of this one. What would be your pitch to Professor Slughorn to join the Slug Club? What would you say to him to get in <laughs> about your family or your abilities or whatnot? Well,
2: bat bogies is already taken, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so I can't do that.
0: Also, he doesn't seem
1: like someone you could really seduce. You couldn't like be <laughs> sexy to him. Okay, <laughs> like, okay,
0: yeah, fair. <laughs> I, Hello, I disagree. <laughs> he's, he's very <laughs> easily seduced. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, tickle but, his toes. but not not like? intentionally. Yeah. You already have to have it, maybe.
1: I don't know, but is he seduced by by like cleavage? Don't think so.
3: The
0: man, I'm likes not- open churned <laughs> wheat
3: mead and crystallized pineapple and yeah. velvet smoking jackets. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's. But he's I. Not I butter me- in his ass. Maybe. Maybe <laughs> I'm not
0: correctly inferring your point here, lady. But it sounds to me like it does. He does more kind of notice that about the people that he invites to the slug club. Yes. Versus, if you were
1: famously yes. If, versus. If, you, if you were like famously seductive, he'd be like, "That's the yes. skill." But rather, mm-hmm. it's it's not like he's someone who you could easily be like come in in a low cut talk and be like hello professor okay slughorn.
0: i will rephrase that what would professor slughorn notice about you or your family connections to get you invited into the slug My club cleavage your cleavage yeah, absolutely you think so
1: Oh, you come from pedigree of uh, good uh english stock. doctors
2: <laughs> good english stock no yeah, but kind of your dad your dad
1: was was the youngest head of Head of something Out <laughs> of prestigious head university. Head of the body.
2: <laughs> uh, head yes, of the Holder yes, family. Yeah, <laughs> yep.
1: Can you say what it was?
2: Uh, yeah, my, my dad was, was department head. He was the head of a professor of anatomy at UCL. Would he be impressed by that? I don't know. I don't see why not. Yeah, I well, feel like that's exactly
0: that. what impresses
2: Slughorn. Okay, well, there we go then. And didn't yep.
1: he name some some research things <laughs> we,
2: no he try. this is this is a major digression and we're only two that's, minutes that's in. fine all right what Lydia is referencing is that to my, da- <laughs> my, my my dad was a scientist right and uh, he studied uh, brain development and generally the tradition is that when you discover a new gene you get to name the gene and mm. you tend to name it after the effect that a uh, mutation in that gene has, and he was a big Spurs fan, and he discovered a mutation. Uh, Tottenham Hotspur, yeah. not
1: San Antonio Spurs. Thank you.
2: Tottenham Hotspur. <laughs> I was Socrates. confused by that. Yeah. <clears throat> he discovered a mutation which led team, uh, to, to zebra fish. You know, tiny little uh, fish which are used for research being born without half their brain. And he tried to call it Arsenal fan, Arsenal being the (laughs) rival club of of Spurs. (laughs) But unfortunately, it didn't. It it didn't pass? No, it didn't pass. It didn't pass.
1: I think that's as good as having an uncle who invented the Wolfsbane potion. Yeah. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that is what I'd bring to the table. My dad. It's audacious.
0: It is. Slughorn would have liked that, I think. Okay, so that's yeah. your answer. That's my answer.
1: I I always liked. My, I always got on very well with my teachers at school. As mentioned in the last podcast, I was a bit of a swat. Right. Um, bit. Of I know a, what that is now a mm-hmm. geek. So I was always chummy with teachers. So maybe I think I, I think I had good grades. I think I was always. Friendly to them, maybe a little bit of a suck up. So maybe I'm not seducing with cleavage, but I feel like I would find out the things that Slughorn liked and then get
2: Mm, into his. You'd Hermione in your way. Not quite as much. you going to say Hermione, but then you went a little Tom Riddle at the end there. Yeah,
1: I think it would be be somewhere in between. I think it would be like Slughorn is someone who can help me get what I want. Because actually in a job that I had when I was younger, there was a woman who no one knew why she was there. She had, I I worked for a market research company and the owner of the company essentially kept her on because she had this like black book of names and she could get like, if you wanted to talk to a politician, she could connect you. She was like very well connected in London and she did no work, but was always in the office. And she was someone who I became quite close with and somehow got invited to a lunch at The Canadian ambassador's house in London <laughs> via this woman
2: that's very slug, club. yeah.
1: Which it's that's a little bit slug yeah. club, isn't it? So, you, maybe are,
0: it would you be... really are pure slither, aren't you? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs>
1: listen, I'm ambitious, or I was, <laughs> I'm losing it as, as I get older. Well,
0: that's good, that's a good reason. How about you, Graham? What gets you in the slug club? My dad let slip to me that, uh,
3: my I think it was my great uncle, great great uncle. Uh, Moses King was one of the the great Jewish boxers of the, <laughs> of, the of the 1910s or something like that. Ah, I don't okay. know. So I think that that'd be my that'd be my family connection. Yeah. That
2: is fantastic. Yeah. Is that I, real?
3: I, I yeah, it is real. Like I I don't I don't know anything about this man. I don't think I don't think my dad does either. He's
0: probably like a great great uncle or that something. But superb. Yeah. Something like that. That sounds like exactly the kind of thing Horace Slughorn would notice. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Be like, I'd be like, so uh, what have you been talking about, uh, Moses? To, you ta- is he still around? You been talking Because
1: <laughs> he would want tickets to Moses' like, title fight yeah. that you could get. Yeah. yeah. No. Big, yeah. big boxing I don't fan. Know. I, don't think, <laughs> I don't
3: think Slughorn actually plays up the connect. I think he just likes... Having fingers in pies, pies. like I don't. The scene
0: in the film, he's playing it up a bit. Yeah, but I, but not in the book. In the book, I,
3: I I don't think he actually is like taking advantage of the fact that the, the kids he's sort of collecting are well connected. He just kind of he likes he just likes being around them if
1: if if he wanted to totally yeah
3: the potential energy well yeah well they're like ornaments Mm -hmm. they are like like, ornaments yeah yeah, and their success is uh, is his success
1: what about you Luke.
0: I don't think I have any famous ancestors. I think, like on my dad's side, my uh, my dad's mom was from Ireland, Northern Ireland, and so I think they were farmers. And my mom's side was all farmers, which is 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 uh, pretty admirable, but not really a slug club mm-hmm. admirable. I would say. So I actually think I would pick something for my own life. So in the 2009-2010 academic school year, uh, I don't know if you know this about me, but you're actually looking at the uh, president of the Resident Students Association at the University of Calgary. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I spent two years as a uh, staff of the RSA, and in my final year, I ran uh, and won the election for president. Yes, I was unopposed, <laughs> but I still did get 93% of the votes. So <laughs> pretty pretty proud about that. And if that's not Slug Club, really, that's I not don't know what is. It was just a really, it was a big growth year. It was my last year. I graduated in 2010 from university and I learned a lot that year. It was like, at the time, we had an operating budget of $110,000 of students' money to spend, uh, steward as judiciously as possible throughout the year to the benefit of the students. And plus, we were the advocacy group for any grievances that students had toward administration. And it was all student led, so it was pretty cool. And yeah, I feel like that one year's experience actually kind of has gotten me most of the jobs I've had in my life, especially leadership based ones or or program leader. So, were you sort of the head boy of? Yeah. Um. What I would, would be- consider like
3: an RA, like a prefect?
0: Kind yeah, of, but so- see, it wasn't RAs because uh-huh. uh, RAs are technically employees of the university, mm-hmm. whereas we were a nonprofit volunteer. Uh, we got honorariums, but we it was 100% student led. Whereas RAs have student staff and staff staff, mm-hmm. like adults who run so it. So
1: more SPEW.
0: Yeah, yeah. It was like a grass. It was started as a grassroots student led organization. The way I would refer to it is that the RAs or we called them CAs, Community Advisors. Mm-hmm. They were like the parent figure for the new students, whereas we were like the big brother or sister. Okay, So we would still party with them.
1: More Fred and George than Percy. Mm. Oh, yes. Or more Bill than Percy, perhaps. Yeah, Mm.
0: definitely more Bill Mm -hmm. than Percy. Bill was cool. Percy was the CA. Mm. Yeah, I don't know if there's an exact role at Hogwarts that would be... Because Prefect would be more CA. So it would be like, maybe the Quidditch captain. Okay. (laughs) Which is pertinent
1: to the Half-Blood Prince.
0: Yes, Mm -hmm. that's right. So yes, Half-Blood Prince, arguably the best in uh, the canon. Yeah, there's no that's argument
3: really, is there? Yeah, it's inarguably the best.
0: I think it's arguably the best. I, I, I don't well, know. What are your other contenders? The Goblet of Fire.
3: Yeah, I mean, that's my favorite. Best adventure. For yeah. sure, that's the best adventure. My, yeah, my personal favorite. But I think Half-Blood Prince, just for how it advances the story, how yeah. it kind of brings the story of Voldemort's backstory full circle, mm-hmm. and how it really kind of like opens up. Uh, adventure yeah. that happens in the seventh book kind of
0: beyond i think it's the literally Harvard's. the best mm-hmm. I, yeah I, um, I agree with but that. i don't think it's a slam dunk is all i'm saying
1: yeah because in in any harry potter book there's always the main story and then there's a bunch of side stories mm-hmm. and i think there's a few points in the half-blood prince where these side stories converge mm-hmm. um in like these crossroads and so i think they have yeah, i think it's done the best. I think it's the best written. It's so um, well interwoven, aren't they? Yes. Mm -hmm. I think it's, there's, yeah, there's just lots of bits that I think are great. It's the one that I have probably read the most as well. And every time I read it, I just, yeah, I think it's brilliant.
0: Yeah, actually, that's a good little, I hadn't thought to ask this, although I think I did last time, but like, what's your initial memory of Half-Blood Prince?
1: I have a very strong initial memory of Half-Blood Prince because I was on holiday Mm -hmm. with my grandma and granddad, we were at centre parks, which is this weird <laughs> British thing where you go and stay in a cabin in the woods, but not like a Canadian cabin in the woods. It's like faux cabin in the woods. And the weather was really bad. So we were inside and my brother and I were racing to finish the book first because he had finished Order of the Phoenix first because I had to go and do a school thing. And he had told me that Sirius died before I'd read it. And oh. it was, so I was like, we, we were like racing to finish this book. And I'm a much faster reader than my brother. I think he could see that he was losing in this head-to-head <laughs> battle and then he just read the end and again told me. Oh, is... no. He
0: did. No. No. Yes. On the tower. He read the bit on the tower. Are
1: you surprised to know Which that about has my brother? Which has an even
0: oh. harsher ending than Order of the Phoenix. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. proper Troll in a dungeon stuff.
1: It, yeah, my brother whose nickname is Troll yeah is, uh,
4: that's not he's that's a good like
1: guy but.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's like only a sibling could hit you oh, that hard time. where it hurts
1: yeah and yeah. i was and that was i think this book came out what in 2006 uh, 2005 i think it was yeah.
3: 05 it's no 20. this
0: one yeah. it's like
3: 06 07 because the last one was 09 right no
0: deathly hallows was 07, seven. definitely Hall- yeah. really yeah, yeah and, oh, and okay. half-blood prince was 05 05 oh, was really? okay. goblet of fire film. Yes. Okay. 07 was order of the phoenix film. 09 half-blood prince film. Okay. And then 2010 2011. Okay. For that's why he's the host. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh But anyway, it was a long time ago yeah. and I
1: still remember that. Yeah, I Thank don't have any particular James.
0: memories for it,
2: but the the, the uh, apart from the the whole Horcrux stuff really just expanded the universe. Mm-hmm. And uh, one and explains things. a lot, so much. The universe just gets one whole level richer, mm-hmm. you know, in just in just a few chapters. And I absolutely loved that about it, mm-hmm. and that was my overriding memory.
3: Yeah, I remember when it came out. I must have been. I mean, if it was oh five, I would have been like nine years old, mm-hmm. ten years old maybe. And I I believe it came out in the summer, right? Yeah um, they
1: they always were they always came yeah, out in the summer because I,
3: I I have a distinct memory. This was the first one, like the fifth one. I kind of went to the midnight release and stuff and I I remember that but I don't have a ton of memories of actually reading it but this was the one where I remember like the weekend it came out being in the car going to soccer camp with my friends and like we hadn't finished it yet and it was kind of the same as you and your brother a little less probably <laughs> malicious than you and your brother like it wasn't gonna be spoiled or anything but it was like one person had gotten a little bit farther and they're like oh you haven't you haven't read the part about this yet or like yeah. you know and i i i do distinctly remember those those sort of like first interactions on the first w- weekend or week mm. that it came out kind so of this is the first other, book you remember this is the first book i remember like the furor around reading it in the first week right that it is in the world you know and it's almost like a race to finish it I feel (laughs) like Harry Potter books were like the only books in my entire childhood that was like the thing came out and it was like everyone just had to read it like immediately proper zeitgeist yeah yeah and this was this was the first one where I really felt a part of that I think Order of the Phoenix like I was just a little bit too young to kind of feel that almost pressure Mm -hmm. from other people and this was the one where I was like I was was locked in you were in it Yeah.
0: Well, turns out Half-Blood Prince is also the first Harry Potter book I remember. (laughs) Because you'll remember from the last one. It's actually the first one I ever read. Mm. (laughs) Uh, It was summer of 06. And it was uh, my girlfriend at the time was on vacation with my family on the Oregon coast. And she brought it and it. She had finished reading it. And I didn't have any other books to read. So I was like, well, I'm old enough now. (laughs) <laughs> I'm allowed to read Harry Potter. You can't tell me what to do anymore, <laughs> mom and dad. you, mom and dad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is my book now. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, Half-Blood Prince. I can't remember if I had seen any of the films. I think I probably did. I probably saw the first two or three films even maybe before I read Half-Blood Prince. But I hadn't read any of the other books. So I have very, very vivid memories of reading it and... And like, yeah, I feel like a lot has happened already in this story. <laughs> you, can't, you can't help but feel that. Going yeah, through this. It's you know? been a little bit of plot it's like, development. Who's this, seri- who's, who's this serious guy they keep talking about? her are so sad about it? Why him. is everyone so serious? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you know, everyone uh, quidditch? That's I think that's a thing, right? They do mm-hmm. they do the Quidditch. Um, but no, I remember loving it. I remember thinking even back then, it's like, I don't know if I like slughorn or not. It's really hard to tell. Like In well, some, moods, Harry. That's how in Harry some moods he's okay, some he's not. Um I remember thinking, reading The Half-Blood Prince, I, I, I'm pretty sure... See, it's really hard to remember what it's like to not know the ending. Be like, what is yes. it like to... I'm pretty I, think, sh- I think about that a lot. I'm pretty sure yeah. I thought The Half-Blood Prince was Voldemort when I was reading it, but there was a part of me that also thought it was Snape. Yeah. Just because of... I mean, all all of the clues are there for it being Snape. I mean, it's in potions class, you know, to start. And yeah, I, no, I he, don't know. I think it's more indi-
2: the clues would point towards Voldemort. I'd say more than Snape, wouldn't you?
0: Well, I'd have to litigate every clue along the way, and I don't remember them all. But I, yeah. I just, I don't know. Again, with the with the clarity of hindsight, you can see how it's Snape the whole way through. Yes, yeah.
1: I don't think but, I, th- I don't think I thought it was Snape. I think I was really like, oh my god. Yeah, um, I, but I also read it in about reveal, six hours, really so good I think reveal. I probably wasn't picking up on the.
3: I don't think it was ever mentioned that Snape is a half-blood. Like, I don't know if it was ever confirmed prior to. No, I don't think so. The reveal, whereas. Again, like with the, the clues yeah. for Voldemort, like they're going, they're delving into ba- Voldemort's right. backstory the Although, whole time. And
0: yeah. you know
1: that Voldemort is a genius. Like we know, yeah. that we're told from the beginning that he is really, really, really smart. Uh,
0: again, it's so hard to not be clouded by like the modern knowledge that we have. But reading it as an adult, I would just have guessed it was Snape because of how... Narratively intertwined Harry's anger with Snape is. Yeah, that's true. Right? Mm. So it's like, who, yes. what character would be the best reveal as the Half Blood Prince given the emotion that's going on in this book? That's and a good point. That's like a more like narrative structure observation that comes with mm. like so much nerd life of just paying attention to books and movies and how they're structured, essentially. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because it's the biggest gut punch totally for is. the end of the book. So obviously it's like we say, well-written in that way mm. for it to be that character.
1: I think actually one thing I'm just remembering from reading that book, because I think if it was 2005, I was 14, 12, 13. And this is a theme that comes up in the book. This is when I started to get really into Draco Malfoy. <laughs> like I had a real thing for Tom Felton, the bad boy. And I think reading this book, was when it I think that's when it started mm-hmm. and when then, he's when he's crying when he's yeah. showing different <laughs> sides. and I was like I was on the Draco Malfoy tumblers mm-hmm. I like I think I think, <laughs> I, 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 think actually... I was in some Draco Malfoy fan groups on Facebook potentially yeah yeah
3: Jesus. You, were, you were feeling like Harry does with Dean when there's she's describing Pansy Parkinson running her fingers with <laughs> his hair or... yeah 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 Freaky!
0: Did the monster again. arise out of your chest? <laughs> and tell you all of the th- and, and want to erupt?
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Before we get into it, I just want to say a big thank you again to everyone who listens to Really True Fiction. You can find us on all the major podcasting apps of your choice. If you listen in India, uh, you're probably already on Ghana. Uh, but if you're anywhere close, uh, we're on Ghana, so don't be afraid to listen there. <laughs> do quite well there actually. if you if you want to get in touch with me, you can send an email to uh, really true fiction at gmail.com. Now I have a Twitter. Uh, rtfiction 87 or at that, I think I'm learning. Uh, <laughs> it's called X. Yes, yeah. X sorry. <laughs> yeah uh, We have a Facebook group. you can join. I post new episodes there too. And if you do listen on Apple podcasts, Um, a rating and a review would be awesome it's been a while and I like reading them when they show up thank you for listening and thanks uh, the three of you for joining so Graham has graciously uh, been voluntold to (laughs) give the little synopsis of the book as you're the most recently read of it okay so Graham what happens in the Half-Blood Prince
3: it's Harry's sixth year at Hogwarts Voldemort is back everyone knows it now the (laughs) Dementors are breeding it's very foggy (laughs) (laughs) In The Half-Blood Prince, Voldemort has stepped from behind the curtain that he was behind in Order of the Phoenix, where everyone was sort of unsure of him being back. He's definitely back. He's been seen at the ministry. And the stuff that was happening prior to his original interaction with Harry Potter is happening again. People are mysteriously vanishing. There are unexplained things that are happening even in the muggle world in the first chapter of this book there's a it's a really interesting departure from the harry potter kind of narrative of the story in that you're seeing you it's told from the perspective of the muggle prime minister as he's kind of dealing with these tragedies that have happened in the muggle world that are as a result of voldemort and the death eaters harry is preparing for his sixth year at hogwarts and some mysterious stuff is afoot as as per usual in the harry potter universe bellatrix lestrange the death eater and Narcissa malfoy visit the house of former potions teacher soon to be defense against the dark arts teacher severus snape and make him Take an unbreakable vow to protect Draco Malfoy as he tries to do something. <laughs> <laughs> something and bad. Harry quickly leaves the Dursleys' care and heads to the borough where he reunites with all his friends Ron, Hermione, Ginny, Bill, and Fleur, who are newly engaged. They they all go to Diagon Alley and they go to Fred and George's new wizard joke shop, which is doing really well, gangbusters even, and they happen upon Draco Malfoy in Diagon Alley and he's he's up to something. He's up to no good.
0: <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Some
3: Malfoysons. They follow him and he, he heads to the offshoot of Diagon Alley, Nocturne Alley, and they observe him.
0: They're very thorough. <laughs> yeah.
3: Do you, want me to, do you want me to do a shorter summary? That's probably a little <laughs> yeah. <short>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Sorry.
0: It's okay.
2: I think we're, we're now moving on to He's the still up each. to no good.
3: They go to Hogwarts. <laughs> He's taking potions classes, and he, he hasn't thought to buy a book because he thought that Snape was going to be teaching potions. So he gets an old book, a used book. He finds a potions book that has been heavily annotated. By a mysterious figure that calls himself the Half Blood Prince, and he quickly finds that the, all the annotations in the book are useful.
1: Yeah, this person is a genius.
3: This person is a potions genius, and he quickly he quickly ascends to the top of the potions world at Hogwarts. I forgot to mention that there's Slughorn. <laughs> <laughs> There's a new potions teacher. His name is Horace Slughorn. Dumbledore has been very keen on hiring him to the school for who knows what. And yeah, Harry kind of rises to the top of potions class. He also learned some new spells that the Half-Blood Prince has apparently come up with and written in his book. And the other thing that's happening in this year is that... Dumbledore is having Harry for private lessons that are kind of centered around Voldemort's past. So he really wants Harry to understand how Voldemort thinks, what makes him tick, where he sort of came from, and the kind of the origin story and what drives him. And he's doing this in the form of taking Harry into the pensive and looking at kind of old memories of either himself Dumbledore or other people that he's extracted memories from and it all leads to the reveal that Voldemort has kept himself immortal basically by splitting his soul into seven different parts and encasing this these pieces of his soul into powerful magical items and the plot is sort of laid out that for Harry to defeat Voldemort, for him to fulfill the prophecy where neither can live while the other survives, so he has to he has to destroy Voldemort, he's going to have to find these pieces of Voldemort's soul and destroy them.
2: Yeah, that must have been a real kick in the bollocks for Harry, huh? Yeah. yeah. You've got to kill him seven times over.
3: Yeah, well... He's already he's already destroyed a couple. Oh yeah. Yeah. So the diary from Chamber of Secrets, that was one of the horcruxes, destroyed that in book 2. Dumbledore has conveniently destroyed another of the horcruxes prior to the book even starting.
0: Convenient for Harry. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's not very convenient for Dumbledore. <laughs> no.
3: But there are still four horcruxes remaining out there. And near the end of the book, Dumbledore is convinced that he's found another one and takes Harry along on the adventure of sort of destroying the Horcrux. And they go to this this seaside cave that Voldemort had happened upon as a child. And they have to get past some magical barriers. There's a there's a spooky cave, good setting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a spooky cave. There's a there's a payment of blood. They they have to find a secret boat. They have to drink a potion that causes the drinker to I don't know relive horrible memories they have to then fight a bunch of zombies basically they have to do the blood sacrifice thing again to get out <laughs> <laughs> Had to do that twice um, and they come back to Hogwarts and they see that the the dark mark has been left over the castle and they kind of realize that something really bad has happened. So they go back to Hogwarts and they run into Draco Malfoy, who has been up to no good all year, just as Harry suspected, and no one believed him. I didn't mention that, but he's been Harry's been really on this all year. No one's believed him. So, yeah, Draco Malfoy reveals that he has been tasked by Voldemort to murder Dumbledore. Um, and yeah he hasn't been able to do it and then they have a kind of classic villain hero i'm about to kill you so i'm going to reveal my whole plan conversation Mm -hmm. and it turns out that draco malfoy doesn't really have the stones to kill dumbledore but a bunch of death eaters who draco malfoy has successfully brought into the school come to back him up and snape ends up coming and kills Dumbledore. And Dumbledore dies.
0: After a, a very pained conversation between Snape and Dumbledore. Yes. Pained in the sense that well, they're Well, it's, like... n- it's
1: not a conversation. It's just one sentence. It's just, Severus, please.
0: Yeah. Well, like... An, it says an, a lot, though. An emotional yeah. Yes. interaction. Yeah. 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 yeah.
3: They have an emotional interaction. Snape kills Dumbledore. And then Snape and the Death Eaters that have made it into the castle flee the castle. And the end is a funeral for Dumbledore and Harry, Ron, and Hermione deciding that they will not be coming back to Hogwarts for their seventh year, but instead hunting these last four pieces of Voldemort's soul that they need to destroy him, setting up sort of the the final battle.
0: And it's revealed Snape is the Half-Blood Prince. Yes, also Snape's the Half-Blood Prince. (laughs) Which is a a pretty big emotional moment for Harry. Yes. When he realizes that.
1: Thank you, Graham. I think there's one big plot. I would say for me there's three plot drivers of this book. There is the Harry and Dumbledore friendship, relationship, Mm. uh, classes, finding out about Voldemort, which you mentioned. There's also Harry's obsession with Draco and Snape. Mm-hmm. um he becomes uh, he becomes obsessive he becomes people don't want to be around him don't want to talk to him about it but he is yeah obsessed
2: trying to find out what Malfoy is up. exactly to.
1: what fa- he know he thinks they're up to something he thinks it's overwhelming evidence he almost misses a quidditch match because of it because he's going insane over it and then finally, I think the last one is Horny Teenagers Love at Hogwarts. I feel like that's a real big...
3: Yeah, sorry. I kind of I kinda <laughs> blew past that one. That's okay. But it's just
1: like one of the things that I would love to talk about is there's several moments in the book where all these things are crossing over at the same time. And I think it's really great story writing by jk rowling i mean i think the love is very cringe it's very i don't remember it being that cringe when i was a teenager
2: no um no it, it's it's also <laughs> completely nonsense like there is i mean how old are they in this book they're 17 yeah right yeah, uh, 16, 16 Seventeen. 16 17 yeah. no one is having sex in these books right and only teenagers in real life are significantly I mean, horny ha- than
3: harry is is reminiscing about a a great hours spent That's alone true. with Ginny down yeah, by the also, lake. Also, yeah.
1: <laughs> well, you know Roger, Davies. True. Got a, he's Roger got, Davies. He's got a high body count. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs>
2: he's an absolute dog on Roger. <laughs> well, it's also Roger.
0: like, um, because it's written for teenagers, yeah. it's also like the personality elements are heightened. Yes, they are. And yeah. the the kind of like emotional, the cathartic things are heightened, probably exaggeratedly, to be like, hey, I kind of get how it feels like to be at this age even if it's not exactly yeah. what real teenagers are like they probably think like that sometimes and I know I had some like over the top emotions Oh, oh it, yeah, yeah it's not yeah, yeah. it's I,
1: I guess it's I guess it it's not that but it's the fact that they um yeah they're just so unable to progress it so maybe it did maybe it was really slow maybe I've forgotten what it's like to be 16
0: but I don't know like did you ever meet anyone who was like lavender in her of
1: course
0: romance really Uh, really girls being
1: come on you you? i feel i feel like it's a very well trodden thing about girls being like psychos and being like over the top and like yeah that kind of thing and i know i don't think lavender is a psycho but that the possessive that i don't know if he likes me as much as i like him the baby talk Yes.
2: Yeah, okay. One okay. one. You are saying it, yeah.
1: <laughs> My sweetheart. I mean that was weird, the necklace.
2: Yeah, I think I'm all, you know, from vaguely familiar with the old Romilda Vane
0: Poison you theory. into loving me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and also Ron being useless. I yeah, think I yeah, saw yeah. a lot of like not one not being able to break up break up with someone so just pretending to be asleep yeah that when is they were definitely around.
2: that rings true for <laughs> <Yeah>. sure <laughs> yeah. but but this whole sort of like relationship as a status symbol for teenagers that was definitely rings pretty true to yeah, me for sure
1: and also pining for not being able to talk obviously there's reasons why oh, harry Christ, yeah. yeah there's many reasons why harry can't go for ginny the main one being that she's ron's sister but also just not being a, it taking a long time to like put together how you feel about someone. And like there's the I really love when they're in the first lesson with Slughorn and they're all talking about what the love potion Amortentia smells like to them. And she's laying the breadcrumbs of he's like, oh, it's some flowery smell. He thought he smelt at the burrow. Mm. Like I love there's all these little bits. And I remember there's a bit when they're in the three broomsticks. And Hermione is getting jealous of Ron lusting after Madame Rosmerta before... This is, like, early. And I, I think I only picked up on this one this time that I read it. I think I'd never mm. cracked that bit. She just... She does... J.K. Rowling does a really great job of, like, just giving you little bits at a yeah, time rather really than does. being like, Harry loves Ginny.
2: Well, yeah. On that, that's something I think is a little bit funny is 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 how much time is spent on the emotions that the characters feel uh, in different affairs. You know, obviously it's from Harry's point of view, but we, we hear about this beast that's in his heart when he's thinking about Ginny and it's roaring its head and we hear an excruciating detail in book five about Cho. But with Ron and Hermione, you're kind of, in one sense, you're slapped across the face about their, uh, with their their growing love and their feelings they have for each other. We don't get that same insight from Harry's point of view about how he feels about them. And that's, that's kind of interesting, mm-hmm. I, I thought. It's so overt with Ginny and, and Cho and whatnot.
1: He does a little bit. There's a bit when he's talking about what if Ron and Hermione started going out and what if they became impossible to be around like Bill and Fleur or what if they broke up and everyone's to talk about there's one herbology lesson where they're talking about it. So mm. there is. But one thing I've come to realise about Harry is he's quite self-centred. Love him. Great guy. He doesn't spend much time thinking about Dynamite other people's emotions. Yeah. That's
0: indicative of teenagers though. Don't you think? Yes. Mm. Right. Yeah. It's tough for a sixteen-year-old to be as. Also, when you're the chosen one, I feel like pers- there's. What would a be the word? Perspeca- of- Perspecacious? No, that's not how you pronounce Perspeca- it. Pers- Perspicacious. <laughs> sure, let's get with that. It. It's hard to do when you're sixteen. Sorry, Graham.
3: No, no, no. I I interrupted you.
0: I felt like
3: having reread this book fairly recently that the Ron and Hermione piece of it is actually pretty well developed in this book, like. Hermione, there's a scene where she gets, where Ron has started to go out with Lavender Brown and she's just like absolutely heartbroken and he he stumbles into a deserted classroom oh, that God. she's in with, with Lavender Brown, like kind of the night that they've they've started to hook up and she has this flock of birds and she sends them at him. A No, Yeah, <laughs> in anger. And there's, I don't know, there's just lots of little pieces of them like really carry or like when Ron is um, he's poisoned in the hospital wing and he's, he's incoherent and he's kind of just muttering her name. Yeah. Yeah. And spoiler alert for the seventh book, they, they do get together, but I, I feel like <laughs> at that, at that point, like I was very prepared for that to happen and kind of like, how yeah. has this not happened already? I felt, and I, and again, upon reading it now, like I, I really felt the sexual tension between ron and hermione and that they really you know they really care about each other and ron you know hermione is dating cormac McLaggen to get make ron mad oh that's stuff. so
1: good yeah. That's yeah when she goes to Slughorn's party with cormac and yeah she's like trying to think of the worst but per- person that would annoy ron the most i can talk about i know people who did that, that when oh, we were God. teenagers to try and get the attention of the person that they really liked yeah. so mm-hmm.
0: um, i'm so glad i'm not a teenager anymore Come yeah <laughs> Of the three main plot thrusts that you mentioned, Lydia, I I, I agree with you. Those are the three main ones. I, I was least compelled by the horny teenager one in the overall story, but I do think there are two things in that whole realm that are phenomenal. The first one we've alluded to already about the like relationship for status game that is played overtly by teenagers and then throughout life. Just how well uh, Rowling showed how that is... Um, an empty promise of like uh, the way that Hermione actually feels about McLagan when it's just the two of them. Right. Because it's like, as we all know, the social element of our uh, romantic relationships are a part, but only a relatively small part of what it actually means to be in a relationship with a person. And so learning (laughs) that to be with, a quidditch star or a football star or a cheerleader or whatever like whatever that is does for your reputation or social life kind of ends up paling to the more existential element of how to actually be with a person Mm. and the drudgery of of
2: dating a moron
0: exactly and then well yeah and, and and then well and ron realizing that maybe lavender isn't exactly his dream girl in certain ways because all well? she's got
2: to say is one, one.
0: Yeah. And, well, yeah. I mean, it's it's over the top. It's so, it's so silly. But it's, uh, it does drive it a deeper point of like, um, again, the hollow, I guess the hollowness of dating for social reasons or, or status reasons versus um, like yeah. your, your feelings, your real, true, like what sets your heart on fire kind of thing in another person. And, and like how hard that can be to learn as a teenager. I definitely have memories of that, not so much for myself, but friends and people around me. So I think that was done really well in the book. But even the more visceral one is I loved how it's described that it's, it's not the, the jealousy that Harry is feeling in this book. It's not described as like anger or even like annoyance or frustration. It's a monster, right? Mm-hmm. It's like it's very primal and very uh, primitive in his chest, yeah, uh, the I, I, lo- I loved her choice, uh, her word choices. I agree for for his emotions about how he felt seeing Ginny and Dean. Today. Man, I can't even. I've written a song about that feeling, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like twenty four, you know, or twenty five. Like I was a lot older than Harry, and I still remember that monster that comes out in your middle of your chest when you see the person you like talking to somebody else, especially if you're a little bit drunk. Yeah, uh, that um, Harry's not, but so. I think those two elements of um human romance and, and emotions are captured so so perfectly in Half Blood Prince.
1: Yes, and I spoke a little bit in the last podcast about Justice for Ginny. And I would say <laughs> that Justice for Ginny is a big thing in this book. Like Ginny is such a well formed character. Like I can see why people are in love with her. Like she's so spunky. She's got so much to say and like why she's so attractive to Harry. And like Harry just wants I think at the end of the day, Harry just kind of wants a quiet, normal life, like he just would love for his parents to be alive and for him just to be an ordinary person. And like his pining for Ginny is also just because he just wants that kind of normality, that kind of normal person, teenage life. And he kind of fights against wanting Ginny. And I think he gets like an insight into what his life could be like if he wasn't the chosen person. Like he talks about how he could imagine himself like marrying Ginny and having this life and Um, And then that's kind of taken, he realizes at the end of the book that he can't, he can't have that, like he has this higher destiny, which I think is, you know, another, another sad thing that poor Harry has to, has to deal with. But um, yeah, that's a big, if people have only ever seen the films, like Mm -hmm. that's just not something that you would have an insight into at all as to like her character or why she even matters at all. Sorry,
2: do you mean that Ginny is a normal character? Is that what you mean?
1: No, I just mean that she is a character at all. Like, in the film, she, like, barely exists. Yeah. No, I don't mean that Ginny is normal, but I mean, like, there's a lot of illusions of Harry being like, what would his life be like if Voldemort had chosen Neville, you know, who could have been the other person, and, like, how, you know, there's a point where he's talking about, you know, it would have been his mother saying goodbye to him, not Ron's. And, like, he has this idea of, you know, imagining him and Ginny in ten years' time yeah. or whatever being together, but then he realises he can't he can't have that, but this is, like... It's described in the book, this is like the happiest time of his life is when he's with her mm-hmm. and he gets to feel like a normal teenager who's got the thing that he wants, like nothing terrible. In that period after the Quidditch final where he can't take place and then he has his first kiss with Ginny at the party and then the period after that kind of nothing is really happening, like he's not really worried about Draco Malfoy at that time, he's not He's not having any lessons with Dumbledore, he's just like being like an ordinary boy and then it all mm-hmm. goes into the end the end bit where obviously just, oh, just changes everything up. yeah
0: have you ever heard of the there's a book i think the author's a guy named mark manson the book's called the subtle art of not giving a fuck have you ever heard of that book
1: <laughs> i've seen people reading it on the tube yeah
0: it, it's, it's in uh, my bathroom i, I think <laughs> i think when you were talking about Ginny a little bit that book came to mind i think she's got that subtle art that oh yeah to her character. so spunky yeah. yeah,
2: and actually one of the things that she that she doesn't give a fuck about is Ron's trying to input himself into her love life, mm-hmm. which is something which is so jarring reading reading now. Yeah. I don't know if that's something which still goes on, right? But Ron is so involved in constantly passing judgment on Ginny's love life, right?
0: Not, not scared to share his opinions. Not scared about to share it. his opinions, <laughs> right, yeah. but
2: thinks that he has the right to have an opinion in the, in the first place. Right, how much time does Harry spend worrying about how Ron would feel about uh, him and Ginny hooking up? Totally. Loads. Yeah. Why on earth should Ron have an opinion?
0: It's human nature. That I mean, it's, a not, it's not justified mm. when you analyze it consciously, but it's, again, I think it's the monster. Yeah, and as know. being
1: the sixth sibling of seven, he's probably got always people telling him what to do so Ginny's the one that he can then be like I'll tell you what
0: to do I think you're right Dan I just right. can understand why he would feel yeah. that whether, sure. whether or not I mean Rod is such a deeply
1: flawed person yeah. there's many aspects of his personality that but are but that
0: in
2: particular bad. is
1: I think that's very realistic though I can see brothers not wanting their sisters to be I mean it's it's based in misogyny not mm-hmm. wanting their, their sisters to be seen as slutty or anything like that and that's essentially what he's saying she is because she's had two boyfriends in two years.
0: (laughs) Which is probably it I think that's different than um having a raised eyebrow over a friend or a sibling who you feel is seeing someone who is like a douchebag Mm -hmm. or maybe not good for them in some way. Because in that second case you're still caring about their happiness and well being. Whereas uh in that first case you're back to that kind of status thing or like, um yeah, I don't want my sister to be known as this kind of girl. So it's I think it's a difference between what you actually what motivates you.
1: And also, Ginny is very popular. That's something that's really emphasised. A lot of people like her. I think there's a. I think Ron is masking his jealousy yeah. mm. in the fact that she is Would well liked because he is not. He doesn't feel well liked, so I think he's masking that by being. Yeah, and actually, on that, it, it's a, It's
2: a. It's an argument he has. It's an argument he has with Ginny, which prompts him hooking up with Lavender, right? exactly, because she's having such a go at him for. For not having done this, casting judgment on other people doing loads of snogging when he himself is... I mean, if anything, it's land.
0: almost unbelievable that she's as self-possessed as she is at age 15. Oh, big like, time. That, that would be the only like critique I would make of it, is that I just don't know how well-adjusted 15-year-olds are across the board, but it's like, she's written in such a way that it's totally flush with Harry falling for her. Oh, yeah. Like mm-hmm. She's got the attributes that a person would fall for, even if it's a bit... Uh, almost unbelievably precocious i still think it's perfect yeah the, as you say the books do her justice yes they do i might just say this here i'll plant a flag i don't think there's a bigger disparity between book and film as half blood prince half blood prince maybe being the best book arguably the best and i think it might be the worst film <laughs> like, it's such a bad movie Uh, i hated it it's very dark
2: right it's the movie that they forgot to turn on the lights it's everything is grim and dark but it
0: it just and i don't this isn't a criticism of michael gambon because i think he's a great actor but whatever the direction he was given dumbledore was just one note flat in the film and in the book he's about as good as he's ever been Mm. in Mm. in any of it so anyway I, I
1: mean, the, the film is, is... I watched it for the first time in a long time recently. And I enjoy. I think I enjoyed it because I think there's an, there is a certain air of silliness around the way they approach all of them being in love. But that takes up so much of the film. There is no time, really, for the other two main plot stories that I guess we'll move on to talk about. Which are important. Which are very important. And, <laughs> yeah, And as you say, Dumbledore is just did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire for the whole thing? He's like, he's just very intense. There's like no, there's no humor. Yeah. No
3: twinkle in the eye. That's the
1: main thing that's missing from all the films though, to be honest, is there is, I find the books to be very funny. Mm. Not all the time, but. Um,
3: they have elements
0: that are very funny.
1: Exactly. Like... There's lines in all the books that make me laugh out loud.
0: The films are also visually stunning, but so stylized in a way that the books don't have to be. Like the the amount of money and time that goes into the sets and the visualization of Hogwarts and the surrounding area and all of the aesthetics of it are cool, but I just feel like that was the budget so much more than the script, the heart of it, you know, and even the acting, like with the kids especially. And that's you can't do much about that, I suppose, because you got to get kids that kind of look like are described. But anyway,
1: there are some there are some ver- there are some funny bits in the sixth film though, which I think is why I enjoyed it.
0: Funny bits, yes, but I just, I, I, I watched the movie right after I read the book and I was like, is this the same thing? Yeah. Like, did you read the book? You missed the point of it, I think. <laughs> yep. Okay. So having read this book again recently, it's one of the things you said, Lydia, and it's probably the thing I struck me the most. Harry's right about yeah. Malfoy yeah. and nobody believes him. Mm. And I didn't really know what to think about that. Like, is it a development of Harry? Like, is he right on accident? Because a lot of times in the previous book books, Harry has been blinded by his biases to look at the wrong person or the wrong thing. I can't remember which one, but he, there's one of the earlier books where he's convinced the bad guy is somebody and it's somebody else. Maybe it probably happens a couple times. Uh, he's just so focused. So his, his, we, we have a um, precedent for his obsession being misguided and um, his judgment being clouded. And his judgment still didn't feel particularly nuanced, but he caught on to something with Malfoy in this that I was a little surprised he wasn't taken more seriously by his friends Mm. about that because I thought Harry made some great points about like, well, his dad's a Death Eater. He's in Borgin and Burkes I was surprised that Hermione especially didn't think once about Vanishing Cabinets because she's like a genius about this kind of shit. So she'd never heard of those things. Like she couldn't find Horcruxes, but I bet you Vanishing Cabinets are somewhere in the library of a book she read sometime, and her memory being encyclopedic about that kind of stuff. I was just like, okay, these are, I'm not going to call that a plot hole. It's just a funny character omission it did not quite
2: true did it because the evidence really does stack up against malfoy pretty early on yeah mm. he goes to borgen and burke's he's up to something they have this fight in uh madame malkins he doesn't want to lift his left arm he doesn't mm-hmm. want to lift the sleeve of his left arm he then on the train he's boasting about giving some sort of job and being something important and they all dismiss him you know hermione doesn't give it doesn't give a shit exactly as you say
1: Yeah, and then there's the bit at Slughorn's party where Harry follows them and he hears Snape and Malfoy and Snape saying that I, you know, I told your mother that I would help you. That's that's the bit which I thought, like I can kind of understand the beginning bit and then maybe them being like, no, Voldemort wouldn't do that. But after Harry hears that conversation... That's the bit what I thought at least Ron and Hermione would be like, okay, that's quite... The conversation evidence. between where between, Snape Yeah, says. Between when Snape says, I promised your mother that I would help you. Mm-hmm. That Malfoy at least was up to something. I think I can understand everyone being like, Snape is a double agent. He's just saying that, which does, you know, ultimately end end up being true. Yeah. Another spoiler by the end of the seventh book. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's... That is, I think it's very surprising that Ron and Hermione are not more interested in the Malfoy... Story, but maybe that's just because they are preoccupied with other things. They've got other things to uh, to be thinking about.
2: Yeah. I would say I'm quite glad that uh, in this book the rivalry between Harry and Malfoy is kind of brought onto a level. You know, this is the first time that Malfoy actually does something really good, right? Mm-hmm. You know, he successfully brings Death Eaters into the castle and kills Dumbledore. Otherwise, it's just, it's all one-sided. In this rivalry, it's just Harry (laughs) defeating Voldemort every single year. Yeah. Uh, Mm -hmm. And, you know, and Malfoy being nothing other than a rich spoil kid. I like the fact that he's now a real villain in his own right. Mm -hmm. Um, But
1: he's also humanised. Yeah, very Mm humanised. And
2: more, not, yeah, yeah, you know, crying in the bathroom and all that. Yeah.
1: I think something that I really reflected on listening at this time would be the difference between Voldemort and Draco Malfoy. You're kind of told that Voldemort is evil from the minute he was born. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Dumbledore goes to see him in the memory at the orphanage and he's already evil. Like he <laughs> is bad to the core. Like there was, an, I guess there was an opportunity that J.K. Rowling could have shown him as like a lonely, neglected child. And that's why he turned into what he did. But she doesn't do that. We are told from the very beginning that he is evil. Sociopath. Whereas, yeah. Whereas <laughs> Malfoy, who up until this point has been pretty... Just bad, bad, bad. No redeeming anything. Um, but then, yeah, we see him crying in the bathroom. He's developed this relationship with Moaning Myrtle. Glad, so great to have her back. Such a great character. Um, and then also... No at, justice yeah. for Moaning Myrtle. She no. was great in the movies. <laughs> yeah, and then at the end of the book, he can't kill Dumbledore. He's he's not a killer. He hasn't got it in him. And I think that really... Show, I think that the idea of like being born evil or like being around evil is kind of something that's explored in this which I thought um was interesting and the beginning of my deep love for Draco Mm. Malfoy
3: yeah and I think he's also just like even beyond crying in the bathroom and those kind of like climactic scenes with Draco there's just a lot more in this book describing him doing stuff rather than like every single interaction with him being like Malfoy said something like really racist and then he got his just desserts. And it's like it's like oh Malfoy was in potions class and he like he didn't do very well and then he was kind of sad and then he left, you know? Like it's just it's just more about him being a boy. Like yeah. they're and I feel like he's And his weaknesses.
0: Mm-hmm. Like he he has he has uh, foibles in this and and not even just in actions but in demeanor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like he's often described as gaunt, tired, no energy yeah to even be an asshole mm-hmm. <laughs> which is like should make harry really suspicious mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> and think. he's
1: shown to be kind of on like he's having these fights with crab and goyle like he's kind of out on his own yeah um after being someone who was always like surrounded by people looking up to him and like being this very arrogant
2: figure
0: mm-hmm.
2: he's getting a taste of what harry has you know uh, yeah voldemort looming over every part of his life
0: I guess there's a couple things about it where Dumbledore must have known that Malfoy was doing all this. Yeah, yeah he, right? even, he even says it okay. at the
3: end, of, at their final conversation right, in the right. tower. He was he basically says, "I knew what you were doing, but I didn't want to reveal that to you because I didn't want Voldemort to." Know that your plan had failed, yeah. Because then I, yeah. he would have killed you. So well, I and, wanted and, you to think that you still had a chance.
0: <laughs> and and in his Dumbledoreian way, tongue in cheek, also because uh, all of this is part of my bigger plan. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> of mm-hmm. of how we're gonna mm-hmm. defeat do- uh, Voldemort. So do you mm. guys
1: remember? If you you know, after the Katie Bell attack, after Ron is poisoned, mm. do you got? Did you guys? I, I can't remember because it was such a long time ago. Maybe Luke, you're the best person mm. to ask. Did you think it was Draco Malfoy at the time?
0: Who did that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess I remembered it. Do you, do you mean the first time I read so, it? So like the
1: first time you read it, you know, Katie Bell has the thing. Mm-hmm. It happens to where she touches the cursed necklace. It's big question mark. Harry immediately is like, it's Draco Malfoy. But everyone's like, no, like how on earth would he have got that? Were you already on Harry's side about this? Well,
0: I don't remember exactly well, but I would guess no, because I do think narratively this is so clever because of how many times we've been misdirected by harry's prejudices mm. in previous books where he's turned out to be wrong i guess he's mad at snape in the first book but it's really quarrel mm-hmm. that he should be yep. looking at right yep. like he's totally caught off guard that that's the professor mm-hmm. that voldemort is um clung to mm-hmm. uh, and i think it happens a couple other times in the
3: fourth when he thinks it's karkaroff and yeah it's moody yeah, and- yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah yeah and he I thought so.
1: draco malfoy was the heir of slytherin at first yeah. mm-hmm. so
0: so yeah so we are conditioned by the storytelling to think that this could be another one of harry's um Uh, you know he's got his blinders on and he just thinks it's Malfoy because he fucking hates Malfoy Malfoy Malfoy's hateable so like we also feel that way too Mm -hmm. you know like I want it it to be Malfoy so I I guess I would have just thought it was a good mystery Mm -hmm. at the time I didn't know who it was but given the stakes given what Harry's gone through given what has just happened with the Death Eaters in the Ministry given that Lucius is in Azkaban now I guess Although, who's guarding Azkaban? Does that ever brought up in the book, if the Dementors are gone? No. Anyway. No. <laughs> Somebody, I guess. The Maybe Ministry. The, well, yeah, yeah, the Ghost yeah. and <laughs> there. <laughs> it just needed... I liked it because it was like, yeah, Harry, You, in a sense, it's like, Harry, you've cried wolf a few too many times to be taken as seriously by Hermione as you might otherwise have been if you'd been a little bit more judicious in the past with your accusations. Yeah, and he's uh, very
1: emotionally led. Oh, he's yeah. not coming to it being like, this is my cool, calm, collected set of evidence. Mm-hmm. He's like,
0: I hate this man. He's up to no good. So it was weird because I was like, yeah, Harry's right, but I still kind of am not cheering for him in his obsession with Malfoy, even though he's right about it. Like, you, his methodology is flawed, mm-hmm. which is always the, like... How do you it, mean it, his methodology is flawed? He's twisting... Evidence that could suggest his hypothesis, but doesn't necessarily suggest his hypothesis as he's ironclad. Got, he's got confirmation bias. Exactly. Yeah,
1: bias. I don't know why I said bias. <laughs>
0: <laughs> confirmation See you later, bias. Bias. <laughs> bias. Um. <laughs> As a scientist, Dan, you'll know this: like if you get the right answer with the wrong method, you might as well get the wrong answer because yeah. you can't replicate it, right? Like, it's, can't it's just, exactly, right? And so, uh, can't confirm bias. <laughs> 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 I thought that that was a really great narrative way to keep the tension up because it's still kind of like he's on his own. Although, you're right, the scene with Snape and Malfoy talking after Suckhorn's par- party, like Hermione, I don't know, I found her a little bit taking a step back in this book yeah. from presence and heroism, I guess. She, she was great still, but not... Anyway, um, but w- what I found very compelling in that whole dynamic is actually Malfoy's point of view in all of this, because as we learn, he's actually uh, operating in his, quote-unquote, evil out of fear, right? Like, it's fundamentally fear of Voldemort, which actually, it might have been in the film, but Dumbledore talks to Harry about it at the end of the fifth book. He says we're gonna win because fighting for what you love uh, is much stronger than fighting for what you're from what you're scared of, um, which is what Voldemort has. He's just got this presence over the Death Eaters that they're scared of him. They don't actually really like him. It's like a a real life thing that occurred to me, and this is pretty heavy, but it's you know you can't help it. It pops into your mind. Uh, have any of you ever been to Cambodia? No, no, I have. Okay, did you go to the Killing Fields? I did. Yeah pretty sobering hey yeah there's like all of these graves and i won't go into detail but like basically killing infants kind of thing and there was i remember so vividly there was a, a grave pit for khmer rouge soldiers who refused to like slaughter babies and they had their heads cut off and were put in so it's like either kill these people these civilians including children or we'll kill you and that is a real-life instantiation of what happens in this book, which is, like, one of the deepest-seated horrors of tyranny is, like, you have to do these things. So it's, like, how you get non-sociopaths to do terrible things Yeah, is fear.
1: And, like, if you think about the Death, the death Eaters, like, Bellatrix is the one who is clear to us. She, like, loves Voldemort. She loves his philosophy. She's gleeful. Yeah, yeah. She really, she really is bought into it. Whereas the Malfoys, cause I do agree by the end, Draco is doing it out of fear, but in the beginning it's pride. He's like,
0: Bravado. he is proud yeah. mm.
1: to have a mission and to have his opportunity to like show who he is and like be take on Harry Potter and Dumbledore who he hates, who, you know, all that kind of stuff. So there's that in the beginning, but then actually as he transitions into just doing this out of fear, it's kind of like the Malfoys in general, they love the idea of Voldemort, but actually they don't like him. When the rubber
0: hits the road, exactly, Malfoy scared. doesn't want to kill anyone.
1: No, and but Lucius uh, and Narcissa as well, they don't like, in the beginning of the seventh book, they don't like having Voldemort in their house. Yeah. Voldemort takes Lucius's wanders, there's all these things, and it's actually Lucius Malfoy in the second book, it's, that's when you get his full swagger, his arrogance, mm-hmm. and actually it much better suits him for Voldemort to be gone. That's yes, his does. Yeah. That, that's his perfect time. He's rich, he's powerful, people know these things about him, but nothing could be pinned to him. But actually, once it starts coming back, I think it, that just hits that point you made about people fighting for love and for friendship and for being together, rather than the collection that Voldemort has him is very easily splintable because they, in reality, don't want to be there. Mm-hmm. Peter Pettigrew. Peter Pettigrew, exactly.
0: I felt... Maybe it's because I work with kids, but that final scene between the conversation between Dumbledore and Malfoy at the end on the on the clock tower or the, the bell tower. Strong right tower. Yeah, nice trivia, boys. <laughs> Although you probably knew that in your sleep, Lydia. Uh, <laughs> it was like so meaningful to me. Having to talk to a kid who you see the goodness in, but you can see the corruption around them because of their other influences and the kind of... Um, Struggle that's going on internally in a young person between what they think they have to do and what they actually want to do if they were allowed to make their own decisions. That was captured so beautifully, I think, in the book and much less so in the film. Maybe that's another reason I didn't like the movie. But I really thought how Rowling painted Malfoy's journey in this book is um, a symbiotic kind of tragedy to Harry's growth. I don't know. Like, I I just... Because Malfoy has been this nemesis of Harry throughout the five books previous, it's such a beautiful wake-up call for me. One one of my most enduring memories of the themes of Harry Potter is how Malfoy is ultimately not a villain in the way Mm. that he's so like painted as one, one one-dimensionally, if you are just like, oh yeah, Malfoy, he's the bad guy. And he's just so much more complicated than that. And this book starts that. Yeah. Yeah, Dumbledore is like, if you I, you do this so that I let you get away with it so that Voldemort basically won't kill you or your family or torture you or whatever, right? Like there are things that Voldemort will do to you if you think, and that has precedent in dictators or uh, tyrants throughout history. You, you let them down,
4: mm.
0: uh, you know? I mean, uh, King Joffrey... <laughs> It's a good example of that sort of the whim. To be at the whim of a sociopathic dictator, you have no grounding. What are you supposed to do? If you stick by your principles, you might end up headless in a pit in the Cambodian jungle. Yeah. So that's the kind of motif I really loved from Malfoy's point of view in this book.
1: Well, Harry feels sorry for him at the end. You know, at the end. I really love the end of this book from the time when they go to the cave and then the battle and then the bit afterwards with the funeral and Harry having that discussion. It's breathless. Yeah, yes, it's it it's and I actually I like it a lot more than I don't love reading fight scenes. Mm. I find that, you know, they did this and then they ran there and then they did that spell. I like the I find reading the fight scene at the end of the fifth book and the seventh book quite tedious.
2: That's why I do the fight scenes when we play Hogwarts Legacy together. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but I really love like the fourth book, the third book and this book. How, I mean, there is some fighting in this book. Harry does some casting spells whilst running, but it's not too long. But I really love the more in-depth exploration of the complexity of his feelings, particularly towards Dumbledore after he dies and then Snape and Malfoy. And in the end, Harry, I think really he feels very sorry for Draco, as he said, because he saw that he didn't want to do it. Because I think in earlier books, I think Harry is probably a bit jealous that, you know, he's rich He's got parents that love him who will buy things for him. He's got status, all that that stuff that we were talking about. But I think at this point, he like Draco just doesn't really enter his mind anymore. He's like done worrying about Draco Malfoy after this book, which I think is kind of cool. And Mm -hmm. is instead focused on Snape and hating Snape. I think I must have hated Snape after reading this book as oh, well yeah. he's such a great character
0: yeah he's not redeemed till the seventh book no not at, so at all. so he comes out of this as a purely maybe the, the second most evil after voldemort because he's had six books to be trusted by dumbledore and the only reason he's still around is because dumbledore trusted him so that's an archetypal point too to be betrayed it's essentially the judas jesus motif of like to be betrayed by the person you stick up for the most a2 severus that's a Trevelyan bond moment if ever there is one <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs>
3: for england james for
0: no for me <laughs> sorry these guys aren't big golden eye fans so... no. You
3: know? no that one didn't really hit for me no, sorry <laughs>
0: sorry sorry sean bean pierce brosnan the film
1: scene bean
2: yes to go back to malfoy I think he plays quite uh, a funny role as a villain um, in that he's kind of. People like him are relatively easily translated into real life. Mm. Um, You know, he's old money, he's effectively racist, sort of blue blood, patrician, you know, top down, whatnot. And I like how he's humanized at the end. Totally. And I like that these beliefs that he has, you know, as someone who doesn't hold similar beliefs to 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 malfoy i like that he doesn't believe them to his core and that actually he's not such a bad guy he's just sort of governed by
0: fear and that's been character foreshadowed by how weary he's described yeah at other stages in the book i don't think he'd ever in the first five books i don't think there's any description about him being not on top of things that are going on no he's always right
1: having the time of his life he's got some sort of smart
0: <laughs> yeah. comment to make he's on top of the social ladder the only time he's ever beaten is really in quidditch by harry or when hermione right? punches or him. when hermione punches him right but like so he's beaten in a sport or physically by a spontaneous action by one of our heroes but he's not tired
1: no, i think he's right. often described as swaggering around the castle mm. like acting like he owns the place mm.
0: but again this is this is really the book i think where well maybe you could just say it a little bit with Sirius dying at the fifth book but the rubber is hitting the road a lot harder for a lot of the characters in this including our erstwhile villains which is really good storytelling oh, that's fantastic. i think mm-hmm. you know so i got a lot out of malfoy in this one but I did have one element of this book where I was like head over heels in love with Harry and it's not really Harry it's Dumbledore having taught Harry the things that Harry knows but to me Harry's biggest bouts of heroism in this book are actually his interactions with Scrimgeour where he won't become their poster boy and for very very concrete reasons I think it's Stan uh, Shun Pike. Yeah. Pike gets arrested <laughs> as a death eater just to show that they're doing something. And Scrimgeor has some line around it. It would uh, do a lot for uh, morale if you're seeing it coming in and out of the ministry. If you're, you being the chosen one and all that, it's like, what's his line? You're making Stan a scapegoat and uh, like you're making me a mascot. And I think it's like at least twice in the book, Scrimgeor tries to get him to do that. And I just love Terry in those moments. And it's a bit on the nose, fine. There's a lot of these books that are on the nose. But his poise to see behind the curtain of even the good guy's propaganda campaign. It's like, how is this actually going to stop Voldemort? Quit arresting people you know aren't death eaters. You could really stretch this out to like, you know, probably not all of these Japanese were interning in the World War II camps in North America. They're probably not. Part of the emperor's army, right? Mm-hmm. They're they're not the bad guys. Why are we putting them in camps, kind of thing? If you wanted to make it like really real life based, you know. So, what do you think about that whole section of the book? I felt that
2: Harry comes out of that very well. I agree; it gets quite a heroic stance. I think that J.K. Rowling, for me, didn't do enough of an exploration of the the, the ministry mo- of the morality of and 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 the mm. pros and cons of those de- of of decisions uh, like that. I wartime. think it's okay for Harry and Dumbledore to say, don't lock up Stan Shampike. Harry's the, the chosen one with the, the wand with the twin core. He has a power over Voldemort. Dumbledore is the greatest wizard that ever lived. It's okay for him to say, don't lock up Stan Shampike. Scrymgeour is just a normal wizard. He's got to somehow fight this tide of evil. And how do you do that? You do that partly through PR. And how do you get people on your side? You sometimes have to make bad decisions, and I think that J.K. Rowling didn't. I would have enjoyed the book more had there been a greater exploration of the difficulties of decisions like that. What did you think, Ryan?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with Dan that, but I think it's also it's hard to tell the story of the government while also putting it through the lens of this like kind of chosen boy, you know? It's, yeah, that's it's very true. it's very from like the the space of the heroes, but it, it would be like an interesting like companion novel or something to actually get the story of of this time through yeah like the the wizarding government of of England and stuff because it it is it's a hard time for everyone and that's alluded to at the beginning in that first chapter between the muggle Prime minister and fudge and then scrum Jowar is like they're just trying to they're just kind of kind of keep everything together and just like mm-hmm. keep people hoping for something and not just like completely devolving and I, I thought yeah that that's that's a cool perspective that we got a little bit of a glimpse into and mm-hmm. and it, it makes you want more for sure
1: yeah it's interesting that Ra- Rowling through the whole books she takes a a pretty strong stance that the ministry is at its best a bit bungling and at its worst you know, bad and evil. Counterproductive. And, exactly. And um, I think the bit when when Ruth, when um, Harry is talking to Scrimgeour, the bit that really seals the fact for him is when Scrimgeour drops in the fact that Umbridge is still working at the ministry because obviously mm-hmm. she is one of Harry's biggest enemies you know one of his least favorite most evil she was going to use an
0: unforgivable curse on him yes and is the ministry okay with them using unforgivable curses
1: yes mm-hmm. and she's still work and she's so she's still working at the ministry I think that's the point when for me I was like, okay he would never be going to a ministry where someone like that is still working so yeah I think it's interesting that Rowling takes this view I know from you know reading about her past she is someone who had been a victim of domestic abuse and i think she was let down by authorities in terms mm. of prosecuting and protecting and getting things like uh, restraining orders against former partners so i think she is it in- i think she is innately a bit suspicious of sort of big institutions so i'm wondering if that mm. is how this is coming across also it's a book set in a school so we can't really be hearing too much and mm. um, the heroes are going to be the people that are in the book so i'm i'm wondering if it's just like yeah. you can't include too much because I, I i i do think it's interesting thinking about what is a war what is a wartime government like like what are they focusing on because there are lots of characters who are like who work for the ministry you know Tonks Kingsley Mr Weasley Percy they all work for the ministry but we don't really know how it is that the ministry is trying to stop Voldemort ad- adapting anything
0: they probably swallow their thoughts a lot yeah from their bosses This idea of PR, right, Harry is,
2: Harry does this interview with Rita Skeeter in the fifth one. (laughs) He's not unfamiliar with the idea that you need to get people on side and that getting people on side can help, you know, can help boost morale. And Malfoy is an, an ostensibly evil character who is humanized, but the ministry doesn't get that same treatment from J.K. Rowling. It is a a sort of cruel edifice, uh, which is, you know, doing bad and doing bad inefficiently.
0: Yeah, okay, I agree. Like, she wrote it in such a way that it doesn't seem like they actually really care about beating Voldemort as much as they care about looking like they're trying to beat Voldemort by taking care of all of the Death Eaters that they can get their hands on, regardless of the truth fact of the matter yep. about death eaterness or not of their arrestees. But yep. to do a counterfactual, like Scrimshaw could have gone up to Harry and said, look, we have every resource available in the world, in the magic world. You're right. How do we beat Voldemort? Yeah. How do we help you beat Voldemort? Because I, I would humbly submit the best form of PR the ministry could possibly have is to defeat Voldemort. <laughs> <laughs> That's a <fat> that, <laughs> that seems like the best sort of public relations move they could possibly have made. Again, it's maybe a defect in the writing or at least in the point of view to not be as nuanced as maybe she is with other characters. But Scrimgeour doesn't seem to care about any of that. And, and being the minister of magic, you'd think he'd have access to all of the resources to help Harry what do you know here here is here is all the money or whatever here's all of the horrors. here's all of the things here's all of our knowledge about everything about voldemort you have faced him a couple times dumbledore has taught him like how if you're the chosen one we're all in on you how do we beat this motherfucker Uh, they don't
1: they don't know that though i mean like how much like Dumbledore, the way he talks about um, Voldemort and his Horcruxes, it sounds like no one knows that Voldemort has Horcruxes apart from Dumbledore and Voldemort. Fair,
0: fair. But in this modern iteration of Voldemort, nobody has interacted him with with him more on their side of the ledger than Harry has. Yeah, that's
1: true. I guess that's just politicians, isn't it? Not not wanting to. Uh, that's the. I think that's the picture that J.K. Rowling mm-hmm. has, is that politicians are more interested in ego and in doing their own agenda than actually doing what works.
0: Yeah. Which is a strange take, I guess, I felt, given it's like, yeah, it's wartime. People are scared. It's like, yeah, but isn't the best way to win this war by winning the war, which would involve beating the bad guy kind of thing? And maybe I'm a bit naive in thinking like maybe this, I, there's always propaganda sure. in war, 100%. But like to be so solely focused on that only yeah, as opposed to like any actual meat and potatoes X's and O's. How do we beat this guy? It was a little surprising to me from Scrimshaw because I thought he's supposed to be better than Fudge.
2: It was a little surprising to be from, from JK Rowling. It's frankly. like it's Fudge
0: yeah. two point Exactly. <laughs> it's, yeah. Essentially, it's like yeah. maybe maybe she is, as you say, Lydia, clouded by her experience with authority, and
1: just a choice that I think there's there's lots of things in the book that are informed by her her own lives, her own experience. Mm -hmm. that she talks openly about how the Dementors are a manifestation of her grief from her mother dying Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So, yeah.
0: Uh, And to be fair, like, it's more narratively appropriate because, like, really, it just comes down to, like, our heroes taking on Voldemort, which is...
1: This is what I meant. I'm like, it makes... It's even more for them to overcome the fact (laughs) that the Ministry aren't doing any... The only thing that we're told that they do is that they arrest Stan Shunpike across... Mm -hmm. A whole book. To our knowledge, they are not doing anything. They're like, we've got Stan.
2: But we don't... don't Sorry, they have Stan, but we don't hear about, you know, what Dean's mother feels about that, right? Okay, people are being pulled from school. uh, People are afraid. People are acting differently. And we don't know the benefit or... uh, We don't know how the actions of the ministry benefit people like that. Okay. Oh no, totally. It's it's right. not.
1: Um, this is this is this is what I'm saying. The only thing that we're told exactly. is that they've arrested Stan Shunpike. Yeah, nothing. To our knowledge, they haven't done anything else. Sorry,
2: but that is also only painted as solely a bad thing. Okay, the other side is is not shown at all.
4: Yeah.
0: Yeah, but it's still based on a fundamental injustice. Because if Stan Shunpike isn't a Death Eater, he shouldn't be arrested as one. Uh, well,
2: it depends on how beneficial that would be to the overall war effort. <laughs> The greater
0: good. Uh, yeah, well, I th- more on that in uh, book seven. <laughs> I think that is um, that is definitely a a fountainhead crux of moral philosophy, right? It's mm-hmm. um, do human beings have inalienable rights that cannot be uh, transgressed by the government, uh, even if it is for the greater good? I dare say uh, there have been revolutionary wars fought, fought over such an idea. <laughs> mm-hmm. I dare say that Harry.
1: <laughs> Um I mean, to go back to your original point, I agree. I think this shows Harry having real backbone. I mm-hmm. think he's throughout the books has often stuck to his guns and he continues to do so.
0: It's it's a sign of growth, I think, because you could have inserted Dumbledore saying what he said versus Harry and it would have sounded fine. I mean, Dumbledore maybe would have been a little bit more articulate or a little bit less confrontational about it. I mean, Dumbledore's much more clever than Harry. So he's got a way of phrasing that Harry doesn't have. But fundamentally, it's the same idea, which is I think it's in the second time. He's like, you really are Dumbledore's man, aren't you? He's like, yeah, I'm proud of it or something like Mm -hmm. that. Right. Mm -hmm. So I really enjoyed that section. And maybe that's uh, my political philosophy biases coming out right there. (laughs) what would you say i'm probably british in my uh humor taste but american in my political philosophy taste (laughs) no doubt doubt about it uh so any other thoughts on harry in this book or harry's interactions
1: i really love the um harry and dumbledore story the lessons i think dumbledore is just a one well it's kind of funny because dumbledore is obviously he's huge in this book But he actually isn't given much airtime in any of the other books, really. He's sort of, as we spoke about in the last one, he's Mm -hmm. sort of noticeable in his uh, absence in the fifth book. But in the fourth book, he's like, you know, Harry has the odd interaction with him. Same in the third, same in the second, same in the first. And then in the sixth book, he's just, you get such an insight into him as a character. I think you learn more about him in the seventh book and about why he does the things that he does but i think you know the way he speaks the humor that he has the knowledge that he has also just his general air of mystery i think is um very clear how he's he's only letting harry into you know little piece by little piece as he um you know is going through all the different memories which i think is kind of interesting i, I think I, I would assume that's kind of a plot device because he dumbledore can't be in the first one i have this theory it's x <laughs> yeah um
3: you're going to need to, to <laughs> commit suicide. Yeah. You know <laughs> uh, uh, one horcrux boy. per book. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but um, generally, I just think I really love the interaction between him and Dumbledore. I think it's very clear that Dumbledore thinks Harry is a really great kid and has a lot of care and affection for him. And I just think the diving into all the different memories of Voldemort offer a really rich addition to the book.
3: Yeah. This is more kind of back adjacent to the the teenage love stuff. But I really like how just the descriptions of Harry trying to navigate just kind of like suddenly being popular at school and in kind of places where he's often felt a little bit on the outside of things just like I don't know, just like the descriptions of him being quidditch captain and, and having his tryouts and there's like 80 people that showed up and he's yeah. just like what the heck is going on and i think
2: that <laughs> i think there's a nice line where he taught uh where we're told that he is getting really good at using the secret passageways because he's trying to avoid all the girls who are hanging out for him is that yeah. right or have i imagined that
1: i think so yeah he might he... also be trying to avoid the creepy brothers as well but yeah there's definitely mm. something about him yeah avoiding his newfound celebrity
3: mm-hmm. and yeah just like all the stuff in there is like really funny like it's like he's like divided them all into groups to go fly around the pitch it's like this is a great idea it's like the first ones couldn't even like get off the field the <laughs> second the second ones were like the silliest girls he'd ever met and they fell <laughs> you know they, they fell on the ground laughing the third group were all hufflepuffs I don't know. It's just like it's just like lots of stuff like that. And there's like little. I remember there's like one little scene where he's just kind of like sitting at the table, and Lavender and Ron are doing their thing early in their relationship, and he's just kind of talking to like Parvati Patil, and he's just like, "Yeah, so how's it going?" <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just like little stuff like that where it just kind of the descriptions of Harry just being more of I don't know, just like a normal teenage Mm -hmm. boy are are really yeah they're they're really uplifting and very flattering in this book in a way that like for example in book five they really aren't Mm -hmm. you know he's just he's kind of in a you really like harry outside of the sort of main plot stuff he just seems like he seems like a good hang in this book and i appreciated it
0: well his status has gone through the roof but he really hasn't changed internally. Mm-hmm. Right? So he's never switched a, up. He's like a little bit miffed and a little bit amused by all of it and, uh, you know, kind of um, eventually gets better at handling it, I feel. Right? Like, uh, it, 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 I think him as a Quidditch captain is a good encapsulation of how his leadership is developing. At the start, he's not sure what to do and he's a little bit overwhelmed, but he's like, okay, break it up into chunks. One group here, one group there, one group, even the Hufflepuffs who come. I thought him as Quidditch captain was one of the most entertaining and poignant parts of the book because really it's like, essentially it's like, okay, this is what it's like to be a manager now. <laughs> now you're in charge mm-hmm. and you've got all these people with very different interests than each other that you have to like kind of figure out how to get into one sort of vision. How are you going to do that? Mm-hmm. You know, and... uh I guess he does it by like relying on Ginny. <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah.
1: And also like his interactions with McLaggen as British hmm. captain are hilarious. Mm-hmm. Like cuz I think for so long you've had all these really annoying people who are Slytherins or baddies and it's like no McLagan's a Gryffindor and you know what he is the fucking worst. Like <laughs> yeah. he thinks he it's is just a bit, yeah. <laughs> the bit the bit where yeah, the bit where um mm. Harry ends up in the hospital wing because McLaggen yeah. hit him with a beater. with a bludger sorry yeah i just think is so funny and when him and ron are lying there in in hospital wing together and ron's secretly quite pleased because you know (laughs) he wasn't able because he has wasn't able to be on the team i think it's just great it's
0: so funny yeah it is funny and it but it like it blah it overshadows some of the anxiety that harry's feeling about having to figure out how to actually like what if he has to cut ron Yeah, Like what if he has to run a particular style of offense or whatever that somebody doesn't like or something like that. And he's like a first year captain. He's going to be getting people who think they know how to do it better than him. McClagan being (laughs) the most overt example of that. So at the book and um, I do think that that actually is not just for teenagers like that was pretty insightful about what it is to become like a young leader in some sort of job or some sort of area. I definitely, as I referenced at the top, I have mem- very strong memories of the year I was president of the RSA. <laughs> uh, I had a really good- Always re- comes back to that. I always think. comes back to that. I had a really good relationship with my three vice presidents, but not always. And there were a lot of times where some of the, at least one of them was like, I don't think we should do this. And we'd squabble, and then eventually they'd look to me, and be like, well, you're the president, decide. Like, oh, fuck. Like, <laughs> you all made good points. <laughs> and then you just got to kind of try and trust your gut and trust your principles, you know, and all of it. And and I think that that was well shown in the Quidditch stuff.
1: Although it would also be very sneaky. And also, I think it's a big tell of, like, you shouldn't really work with your friends. I think um I have a good friend. <laughs> yes, I, yeah, <laughs> true. I have a good friend at home, and she often talks about learning the hard way about not hiring friends. And mm-hmm. it's been there's a couple of people who she is no longer friends with after working relationships have gone sour. And I think Ron and Harry on the Quidditch team is a real close call to that. And when Harry pulls the very smart move of making Ron think that he's drunk Felix Felicis in order to get something where they both went is actually very bad and very sneaky, but also like great thinking by him in order to save their relationship. But yeah, they're a terrible working pair and they go on to be auras together which so they're probably that's probably terrible as well
2: probably can I jump in there yes Harry sneaking uh, sneaking Felix Felicis into his drink and Ron drinking it is another example of JK Rowling giving the benefit of the doubt to individuals but not to the institution <laughs> what is the difference between Ron thinking that he's drinking Felix Felicis and Stan Schumpai being locked up
3: What is the similarity?
4: (laughs) (laughs)
2: Good question,
3: Graham. Yeah, if you tell me the similarity, I'll tell you the difference. It is achieving um,
2: a greater goal by committing a necessary and small evil.
0: I guess I would say that there is a substantive difference between winning or losing a Quidditch game and having to go to jail. Okay, well, I take the point.
1: Also, he didn't (laughs) actually do anything.
0: No, that's true. He didn't give
1: them did maybe it would be more if he actually gave him the Felix Felicis in order to win. Is that not then for the greater good? but he didn't actually do it? So it's like he couldn't be he couldn't be prosecuted because he didn't do anything.
2: I suppose that is probably true. You'd
0: have a hard time throwing a greater good argument into a sporting event too. I mean i I, I love sports. At no point would I advocate cheating for the Montreal Canadians to win for the greater good of whatever. You know, I just, I think you undermine your own goal if you cheat. Ron did that. Ron did that? Yeah, he cheated, effectively. Well, he thought he did, you know, anyway. He was
2: happy I think that I drink think drink that Ron's
0: Ron's beef should be with Harry about that, not about metaphysical injustice. I, I, I would say it like that. Like, I, I just don't think it's any bigger than Harry tricking him. Yeah, you're right. Ron probably, if he was as honest as he could have been, should have gone up to, I guess, Madame Hooch, is the referee mm-hmm. of Quidditch, and be like, I think I accidentally drank some of this Felix Felicis. I shouldn't be allowed to play. You're right. That would have been more noble yes, on his part.
1: But Ron would never do that. Ron would be the first one to cheat. Ron, If Ron could get away with it, Ron would cheat in every test, in every game, <laughs> if it meant that he... Could be the best at something finally, mm-hmm. so I think that's yeah, never gonna happen.
2: Fair enough. All right, mean, been well, shouted down.
0: <laughs> well, I just think this really just shows um, Ron's depravity more than anything. Not maybe that's too harsh of a term, but his um, desire to fit in, which is kind of more high school, yes, it is element based, you know, like that sort of thing. I made a note that you saw Dan for it. It, it rem- that whole section of him getting that fake potion to do well reminded me of Space Jam. I don't know if you remember Space Jam, but <laughs> yes. there's Michael's special stuff that they all drink at halftime to get better. It's just water, but they all yeah. think it's Michael's special it's stuff. It's pure so Space get Jam, better.
2: which came out several years before, right? There's no way that this wasn't. Uh, yeah, but I mean, I'm sure,
0: I'm sure that is It's not. a trope. I, yeah, sure. I don't think Space Jam sure. invented that idea, no. right? Uh, but it does. Maybe I don't know if it's interesting or not, but it maybe real raises a sort of psychological component to confidence. Mm-hmm. What really changed for Ron in that is that he believed a certain thing that prevented him from getting in his own way mentally on the pitch and if he didn't get in his own way mentally he was able to be as good as he could be right which which does go to the mental side of sport
1: I think the Felix Felicis though is an interesting plot device through the book I really like the scene where Harry drinks the Felix Felicis and then goes to Hagrid's I think I think it's funny Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed reading that and him, you know, drinking it and then going, okay, so you're off to Slughorn's. He's like, I think I'm going to go see Hagrid. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, no, like, what are you doing? And he's like, no, no, this is where I need to be tonight. And, and you then know, he bumps
0: Ginny on the way out.
1: Exactly. He bumps uh, Ginny on the way out. And
0: I don't know if this was intended narratively or not, but honestly, when he's on Felix Felicis, he's his most Ginny. Yes, like, exactly. He, he gives less fucks than she does. Totally. Like, he, he couldn't be more, uh, he couldn't care less that he saw Slughorn yeah or not
1: and he really knows how to if we're you know going back to our beginning conversation about how we might interact with someone like slughorn he is he's being tom riddle he is pushing the slughorn buttons he's doing yeah like when dumbledore gives him the task of getting the horcrux like the first thing you think of is you would be like he loves my mum. he Mm -hmm. is obsessed with lily potter how do i use that in order to get this memory but harry doesn't take that seriously enough he's a bit useless, to be honest, in his approach to to getting the Horcrux, but obviously is on the Felix Felicis and then immediately is able to push all of the the Slughorn buttons. And Slughorn is as obvious and as easy to read as anyone can possibly be. Mm-hmm. So, yes, it's kind of, I think it, that point you make, he is like, if, if Dumbledore had tasked Ginny with doing it, she would have been like immediately gone up to me like, you love my dead mum, give it to me. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I, I love that comparison. I think that scene is hilarious. I think it's really funny that Hagrid is talking about Aragog and like loving this spider. I think it's a really good insight. And I, I can find Hagrid quite annoying. Um, I think he's like lovely. We, we, we all love him, but he's kind of a bumbling fool. And I think this little scene in his heart is just like Hagrid distilled. I just think it's a great, a great scene. Gets it's true. Great plot device. Yeah, loved it.
0: I did too. Mm-hmm. And it was actually the best scene in the film because it is that funny. I think he's like we he pretends to have the pincers. He's yeah. kind of <laughs> <laughs> he's drunk or high, yeah. yeah. more like high. Yeah. You know, yeah. Felix Felicis. Also, I think I mentioned. I've definitely mentioned this in some of the earlier Harry Potter episodes I did because I was like, I'm pretty sure that means good luck. So I looked up the definition of the word felicity, which is good fortune. Mm-hmm. What, you know, it's just like another great little word or or alliteration that Rowling uses I think you referenced like all her little fun names for things like just yeah, another just, perfect name she's good she that has in.
1: such a way with words and coming up with things that are so pointless and so ridiculous <laughs> um, I can't think I know I was when we spoke in the last episode I really loved the way that she spoke about the different ministry departments I'm trying to think if there's an equivalent in the sixth book but yeah all these little bits that she adds it is what makes it so fun to read time and time again, I think. Mm-hmm.
0: I did want to pick up a little bit on what you're saying about Harry and Dumbledore because they definitely have the most, I, probably the most screen time, as it were, for Dumbledore is this book of, of any of them. There's a sort of parallel. I mean, it's done much better narratively in Harry Potter than in Star Wars, but there's a parallel of when Luke sees Obi-Wan die you know it's uh, (laughs) it all comes back to Star Wars uh, archetypally it's Mm -hmm. similar Mm -hmm. because of their interactions throughout the book I was so emotionally involved in when Dumbledore is ordering Harry to make him drink that, that potion no matter what he said and eventually he's like anguishing Harry to do it right and it is foreshadowing the anguish that Snape must have felt following the orders of Dumbledore to kill him. Like it's a really beautiful narrative parallel of. Um... But we I... not that we know that in the sixth book? Uh, no. We don't know it, but right. we it's a it's a foreshadowing. For I actually,
1: I think that I think that Snape hates Dumbledore. I think he hates yeah. him a bit. I think he's. I mean, this is very much a, something to discuss for the next book. But I think he's he he resents him. I think he's happy to do it.
3: Crikey.
0: I don't remember the seventh book well enough, but I I just feel that Snape is... Isn't
3: there a memory where he...
0: Misunderstood like Malfoy a little bit. Where he doesn't want to do it?
3: He doesn't want to do it
1: any... He doesn't want to be a double agent anymore. He's like, I've I've had enough. This has been too hard. I don't want to be your double agent anymore. And then Dumbledore's like, you said you would. You've got to keep doing it. Mm -hmm. And then Dumbledore's like, you're going to need to kill me. And then... Snape is like, What about my soul? You don't care about my soul. And Dumbledore's like, It's up to you to decide whether helping and putting an old man out of pain is dangerous to your soul or not.
0: Mm -hmm. But doesn't Dumbledore having to say it in the tone that he does, Severus, please, suggest that there's a clear part of Snape that doesn't want to do this? Yes,
3: it does. Yep. I don't know. I mean, Dumbledore is like the only person that sticks up for him, right?
1: Yeah, I think the relationship between Snape and Dumbledore is really interesting. Yeah, it's um, really complicated. I don't think they, I, I don't think they like love each other though. I think it's like respect, shared need. But I think Snape's definitely doing it out of a sense of duty, like I know, 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 loves loves
3: for Lily, a love now, for Lily. Too. Yeah. Ex-
1: exactly. I think it's like yeah. a shared. Yeah, yeah. What yeah. I would love and I don't
3: to... think Dumbledore loves Snape. I mean, he led to the Potters being murdered. Yeah, stuff. like he's he's giving him another chance he's the, uh, almost using him in a way oh more ex- than the fact I, I
2: think that he is led... using
1: him i think that's why snaples of his like resents him so much
2: more than the fact that he led to the potters being murdered the, the man's a death eater and the, 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 the man's a death eater for for, <laughs> for dreadful reasons mm-hmm. right he doesn't like people who aren't of pure blood and blah 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 we don't know how dumbledore feels about having an literal death eater as a teacher mm-hmm. and un- well we- and we don't know whether snape is repentant for any reason other than his love of lily potter
1: i guess we get one insight into that is the fact that dumbledore has never let him be defense against the dark, dark yeah. arts because he That's thinks true. it's being too close to temptation and then he kind of i guess he only does it in this book i assume he cannot find another one you know because well, the curse is on the position or whatever
3: yeah, I think it's because he needs he needs Slughorn to come
0: back because he needs the memory. But then Slughorn will only really come back to teach potions.
1: Yeah, yeah, that makes
4: sense. And he do needs we to keep Snape.
0: do we learn ever that. why Dumbledore fundamentally trusts Snape as everyone says he does? I think it's this issue of the repentance,
2: the sadness that Snape felt after the death of Lily. Mm. I think that's I think that's the only thing, right? I think so. Mm. I think
1: there's in the seventh book, right at the end, there's he's saying. There is one way you can make it better, and that's to protect her son and help him. Because I guess at that point, Dumbledore already knows that Harry is going to have to be the one to
0: to vanquish God. <laughs> but make sure so. you show such contempt for him yeah. for six years so that he thinks you're a bad guy, so you can kill me, so that Voldemort will think you're on his side, so that you can help him later. Yeah, yeah exactly. So that at some point
2: you can drop a sword inside a frozen lake in... And- the forest of dean in the seventh book yeah
0: and they can get a horcrux which i don't know exists yet. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> but i have a theory yeah,
1: dumbledore it all is, makes sense dumbledore is playing 3d chess he's the, actually the only 3D, one we're all playing is. 3d
2: chess he's playing 4d chess okay, he's playing, oh yeah do i mean 4d chess <laughs> yeah oh, whoops, but we're also <laughs> always playing 4d chess because we're playing in time but anyway he's playing <laughs> 5d chess he's and stewart is playing 6d yeah. chess <laughs> <laughs>
0: And that's why he could not be with us tonight. <laughs> <laughs> He's coming back to our dimension. Yeah. He's slow. Yeah. I know we've talked a lot about Dumbledore, but not directly. Like, so how do you find him in this book? Him specifically, not him relationally to Harry. Uh, I have a few lines that I really liked by him, but maybe it's more about the lines than him. How'd you feel about Dumbledore in this book, Graham?
3: I, I mean, as we've kind of touched on already... In this discussion, he's definitely way more fleshed out in this book than in previous books. Mm-hmm. So I think that that just more familiarity with the character brings a certain affinity to him. But I find him a little bit like unnecessarily mysterious. Um, I feel like at this point in Harry's development, you know, he's already been through the whole thing he's already seen voldemort come back he already knows he's the person in the prophecy and that that neither can live while the other survives it's kind of all come to the head where there's going to be a final conclusion between harry and voldemort for one way or another and i just think that dumbledore doesn't need to withhold in i like i know he's trying to like parse out information in a way that's like digestible for harry and he can kind of like let it sit over him but honestly like for example with the slughorn memory where he's sort of like this is the most important memory and he's like so disappointed in harry that he didn't get it you know and then when they see the memory he's sort of like yeah, this is everything I ever I already thought it's <laughs> <You know? laughs> like why didn't you just tell him what you thought <laughs> at some point I don't know because so, I still conjecture Graham uh, I yeah totally just agree, conjecture. Grandma, I totally agree yeah so i I found him a little I, I thought that was a little frustrating for me upon rereads like on the first first time I read the book obviously I was like wow this is you know this is like I, where is this going but Having knowing the story now, I was kind of like Dumbledore. Like you could just, you could just kind of let him in at this point, and you guys could, you know, work with each other a little bit here, which builds on five, right? Because
2: five is the one where he, he's really mysterious.
3: Yeah, he really shuts him out.
2: Yeah, I think I totally agree with you. Yeah,
1: I wonder if it's lonely being Dumbledore. Oh, like oh, yeah. he doesn't seem to have. I mean, I think that's something that gets explored in the seventh book. Is this idea that he buries himself in work and in doing good because he's worried about holding power and he's worried about things that he was tempted to do when he was younger in terms of relations to the dark arts and holding power but like harry is as far as i can tell like one of the closest things he has to like a a confidant someone who knows the most because even like i think i guess snape is the one who knows the most we then we come to learn in the seventh book but like I assume he's friends with Professor McGonagall. They seem like they're pals, like Flitwick. Yeah, like mm-hmm. Sprout. Yeah, I think they're friends. <laughs> but like, they're not, they're not people
2: that... Surely
3: not Bins. Bins is too no. tough. <laughs> oh, probably, probably with Vector, though. Yeah. <laughs> Trelawney, not Definitely a chance. Not yeah. Yeah. Seems like an Arithmancy
0: guy. Yeah, I would say. I think he's
1: big into Arithmancy. Sinistra, what do you reckon? Probably not. Probably not. No. But... What
0: is arithmetic? Yeah, it's
1: it's magical, like wizard math. Yeah, magical yeah. maths. Okay,
0: yeah, let, that's why he's
3: Professor Vector. Let's, see <laughs> that. let's go to the guy with the little, uh, maths degree. Yeah, that one. It's a little on the <laughs> nose.
4: <laughs>
1: but I think, yeah, I just like I feel I feel bad for Dumbledore. He's like he's such a genius, and no one is on his level.
4: Yeah,
1: I think it is irritating. I think he does unnecessarily shut harry out but i guess there's this idea of harry having to find stuff out for himself like the whole thing is like in the seventh book that harry has to come to the conclusion right at the end so that he does the right thing because if he knew too early which is very manipulative of dumbledore but ultimately it gets the right outcome i love that the twinkle in dumbledore's eyes is is like back in this book and i and he's another one who shows signs of strain like there's all these things about him being tired and like obviously he's got this injury in on his hand that we don't know the extent to how bad it is but he's someone who is also really showing the strain of the task that he has set himself and the role that he feels that he plays in protecting the magical world mm-hmm. and i think we also see a real demonstration of his wisdom in this book of his magical skill all sorts um which i like
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, to build on that, we're often told, you know, throughout the series that Dumbledore is the most amazing wizard, but there are actually very few instances in which we see his power. Um, One is the fight with Voldemort at the end of the fifth, Mm -hmm. but then the other is all in this book, and he's sort of single-handedly dismantling Voldemort's Plan towards immortality, mm-hmm. and I I love that. You know I really like the confidence with which he went through the cave. Yeah, and the blood he's, and yeah. Dis- he's just
3: like he's just like he's just kind of like looking at things and like touching things. He's like, yeah, this is right. Yeah, <laughs> and he's like, oh no, that's so crude. As he has to like <laughs> cut
2: himself yeah. to get the uh, uh, to well, and his and cave. his.
0: I think it's the twinkle in his eye. What, what's his line? Instead of Harry giving the blood, he's like, "No, I'm much more clever, much yeah. more something, and yeah, much mu- less I'm, valuable." I'm, 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 yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm much older, much cleverer, clever and I'm much, much less, less valuable. valuable. It's really yeah. good. that's yeah. it, the perfect line. Exactly. It's not nice being
2: told that someone's really good. It's much better to to see it for yourself. Mm. And, and, and also, this is an in instance yeah, of him when
1: Harry it. is being dragged under the water by the infrared and you're oh, like, yeah. "Oh God, this is curtains." And he finds the strength in his. A hundred and fifty-year-old being yeah. to stand up and be the beacon of light. It's very, that's very Gandalf that moment. It obviously. is very Gandalf,
2: and it's really good. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Harry's defeated by the Infrarite, He can't fend them off. Regulus Black is defeated by the Inverai after gobbling down that potion. Dumbledore is it? He drinks the potion and he defeats the Inverai and is the he escapes. Is, is that he can do all on size? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a that's a book seven thing. He gets yeah. uh, dragged in under. the
1: creature explains it.
2: Yeah,
3: um, creature
1: manages to get out. But
3: oh yeah, creature like apparates it's into the Yoda. cave and yeah, takes yeah, the yeah, takes yeah, the yeah. locket. It's okay. Pretty Yoda
1: too. No, he goes... Very Yoda, yeah. Yeah. We can talk about
3: that next. Book. Okay, yeah, we'll talk about it next. Book. I'll be, yeah, yeah,
0: and <laughs> we always dabble a bit in the next one. Mm. Just to,
3: I remember, I have a distinct memory of the first time I read this book when Harry's trying to defeat the... I, mm-hmm. I call him the Inferi, I don't know. Yeah. And Inferi, Fury. And it was like, you know, I, I don't have the benefit of hindsight in all these, but I remember in that one, like, Dumbledore told you, like, five pages <laughs> ago. Yeah. They don't like light. They don't yeah. like yeah. fire. Like, what are you doing? Exactly. Like, <laughs> Hermione can make fire when you guys were like eleven. <laughs> exactly.
1: Although Hermione has one of my favorite lines in the whole series, which is when when they're fighting Devil Snare, she's like, "They don't like fire," and he's like, and then she goes, "Yes, but we've got no wood." <laughs> yeah. Are you a witch or not? So yeah, it's hard to it's yeah hard to totally remain cool. Yeah, I guess when but you're it, being it's just, just when Dumbledore like specifically yeah. prepped yeah.
3: him like. For this I moment. know, he's probably... So recently. He's, he's
1: probably lying there like, for fuck's sake. Yeah. I am yeah. dying over here, <laughs> but okay. Do the damn fire thing, Harry.
3: No, not septum sempra. <laughs>
0: They're literally dead bodies. <laughs> you idiot.
3: Think
2: about it, Harry, for God's what's well, Also, impedimented. What's that going to do? you just going to trip him up? Yeah.
0: Well, actually... So I had a thought on Dumbledore, but your Sectumsempra line made me think about, yeah, how like one of the kind of overarching educational things is like Harry, sometimes there's only been like maybe one time a book where he's like done something really bad. And uh, it's, like, using using magic that he doesn't know what it is mm-hmm. is, like, the negative side of his, like, exploring out into the unknown. He's got, I guess, it, explained why he's got that, like, part of Voldemort in him. But, like, he he should know it's unwise to use spells mm-hmm. if yeah, he doesn't know what You know, and, it, and yet he's still learning that. But I think the thing that I like the most about Dumbledore... And again, this is probably because I work with kids. And I take your point, Graham, that he's unnecessarily mysterious. That's, again, a plot thing. Mm-hmm. The book's more exciting. Totally. <laughs> because we learn about Horcruxes at the end. Yeah. No, no, no. It, it, makes third, se- right? it
3: makes sense as a storytelling device. But, yeah. like, <laughs> yeah. When, when I already know the story, I'm so, like, come on, dude. A, <laughs> I, mean, uh,
0: I love his patience. Mm-hmm. Many times, Harry is just flying off the handle, mm-hmm. and Dumbledore waits waits for him to be in the right headspace to be able to hear what he has to tell him. Yeah. And he tries that with Malfoy at the end, too. I can't really say that about any of the other professors at Hogwarts. Some of them are better teachers than others, but none of them have this sort of, like, abiding patience to wait for the students to be in the right headspace so that they can actually learn the thing that they have to be, have to learn. Yeah. in this moment, you and know. So, yeah,
2: with McGonagall, there's a couple of times where she kind of interrupts and yeah. lays down the law or something like that, rather than actually listening to them. And
0: all the other teachers are like, "Okay, you got to meet me at my level." Yeah. And Dumbledore's like, "Okay, I will. Wi- I will meet you at your level when you're ready for it." Yeah. I don't know. Like, is that teachable to a teacher? Is that just something you develop over time? Is it innate? But I think the reason Dumbledore is the headmaster is that he is able to wait until it's the right moment for everything yeah you just get that a lot in this book because there's there are a lot of times where it's like ah.
1: <laughs> well yeah there's one particular time in this book which is when he finds out from Trelawney that snape was the one who told voldemort yeah about the prophecy which he didn't know mm-hmm. and i'd forgotten that he didn't know that and then he finds out and then he's ranting and raving and then Dumbledore's like, listen, if you want to come with me, I need you to calm down. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Do you want to come or not? And, yeah. <laughs> and he's able, yeah, he's able to do that. But he's just hes just an extraordinary person, isn't he? He's just, and I think that's something I really liked about the seventh book as well, is you get this insight to him as being a, a feckless teenager who's mm-hmm. up to no good and being yeah. all these different things.
2: I can't remember, if someone mentioned Gandalf earlier. And Dumbledore is so much nicer than Gandalf. Oh, Gandalf yeah. is is he's like mean and he's always you know he's a little bit grumpy and he's kind of he's not afraid to shout at people when they're wrong I think you know Dumbledore's gonna be one of like the great literary figures you mm-hmm. know going forward
0: I think it's also in that scene where Dumbledore I love these conversations every every book except the seventh one which I guess it's the seventh one also does but it's more in a dream or in a limbo state there's always at least one conversation in each book between Dumbledore and Harry with just this like thundering wisdom that comes from Dumbledore about life yeah. to Harry. And in this one, it's that the prophecy is actually irrelevant. What's wrong with Dumbledore is what he's chosen to do, not what any prophecy said he would or wouldn't do. Voldemort? What's wrong with Voldemort? Yeah, Voldemort, regardless of what Voldemort yeah, chose. Crucial difference, that. Yeah, yeah, what Voldemort did was bad not because the prophecy says it, but because Voldemort chose to do it. Yeah. Voldemort chose to kill your parents, right? He chose to kill all of these other people. He chose to do whatever to, that guy at the fourth book, you know, like all of the things that he chose to do. That's the reason he's a problem, not what the prophecy says about him or not. Frank Bryce? Yes. Yeah. Frank Bryce.
1: And whether there was a, prof- if even if there wasn't a prophecy, Harry still would have wanted. I think that's also the idea that's good for Harry because I think for all the time yeah. he's been feeling, you know, his life has been taken out of his hands. He, This was always the destined for one, him. Yeah. yeah, but actually that, I think that bit that you're re- referencing when Dumbledore says, you know, if you'd never heard the prophecy, would you still want to kill Voldemort? And mm-hmm. the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a real, like, turn. I think Harry becomes a lot more grown up, particularly in the seventh book, as a result of knowing that this is something that he has chosen to do as well as being destined Mm -hmm. to do it and again just dumbledore being 11 steps ahead of absolutely everyone
0: Um, and uh, not revealing that (laughs) that. well the other dumbledore lines i enjoyed um i think he's talking about percy and why percy isn't being nice to his parents even though it's clear that voldemort is back and in the whole fifth book the ministry's official stance was that harry and Dumbledore are crazy and Dumbledore says it's far easier to forgive for being wrong than for being right and that's like that is a very deep psychological insight yeah into human beings because mm-hmm. if we're if i'm um forgiving you for being wrong i still have i'm still i have the, the high ground, ground right yeah. Whereas, like, to really, like, you know, you're right and I'm wrong, it's how you can tell someone means an apology, really, is yeah. <laughs> if they culp to it. Maybe that's, like, a, an element of it. He's got a line, the prophet is bound to report the truth occasionally, if only accidentally. Mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> this harkens back to something we talked about in the last book, but Dumbledore, I think it's in the, it must be in the memory where Voldemort comes back to Hogwarts to talk about getting a job there again. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dumbledore says, you'll have to excuse me. To me, you'll always be Tom Riddle. Yeah, and that it made was me of think impossible. of that fight between him and the Ministry again. About I can beat you, but also I kind of like you, <laughs> you know, or like I I remember the thing that I wanted to see. Maybe
1: yeah, he sees the hu- he's the only person who sees any sort of humanity mm-hmm. in Voldemort. You'll always be the boy, the mouth organ, or whatever. Yeah. it is.
3: yeah. Mm-hmm. And the the bunny.
1: I actually also there's one interaction yeah, I... between Harry and Dumbledore I've always really liked, which is where. After they see the memory of at the Gaunt house and then afterwards they are talking about, Dumbledore is explaining about how Meripay went to an orphanage, she had the baby and then she just died. And Harry says something like, she wouldn't stay alive, not even for her son. Mm. And then Dumbledore is like, oh, is this, are you feeling sorry for Lord Voldemort? And Harry immediately is like, no, but I'm like, that's a really that's a very easy thing to feel really sorry for. Like he had a mother who didn't care, who he, he didn't care about him at all enough to live because she'd been, you know, horribly abused. I'm not yeah. saying that she's a bad person, but like that's because that, you know, as I was talking about earlier, like Voldemort is not given any humanity. He's not given any redeeming qualities. He has no love for anyone or anything. He just is in the pursuit of power. And I really liked that interaction between Dumbledore and harry and you know picking up on harry because obviously harry's seeing a lot of himself in voldemort you know being an orphan Mm -hmm. um although voldemort wasn't an orphan but he was when he killed his father um (laughs) are you still an orphan if you murder your own parents i don't know but yeah i thought that was another point of dumbledore just being more knowledgeable than harry and trying to guide harry and circumspect yeah
0: like Mm. that's a great point yeah how he our villains get humanized not Voldemort. <laughs> well, no, but a, a little
1: a I t- yeah, I guess a touch.
2: <clears throat> I'm not sure I'm not sure he's humanized. I, I think it's driven home there's not much humanity in him. There we definitely learn more about him, you know, Malfoy gets humanized, his his evil gets kind of diluted, washed away. We see behind explained. Uh, exactly explained when you know he he's crying in the bathroom. Voldemort is just he's just straight up a wrong an man. He's just the evil.
4: Yeah.
0: Okay, so you guys will know this better than me, though. I feel like there's a few times in some of the memories, specifically when um, Dumbledore's visiting Voldemort in the orphanage, mm. and maybe a little bit when he's back with his parents, or or like kills his dad. I, I can't remember.
1: And he goes uh, to visit yeah, Wolfen.
0: yeah. Mm. Is there not a little bit of description of like Voldemort as a kid, still not knowing exactly what to make of Dumbledore? Uh, not being in charge of the situation and thus potentially having the ability to fall in a better way than he falls.
1: I really don't think so. No? There's this thing when Dumbledore goes to visit him in the orphanage and he goes, tell the truth! Mm. As if he's, you know, saying that he had... It was an order that he'd given many times before and, you know, Dumbledore offering to go to Diagon Alley with him to do his shopping and he immediately says no. and And when he goes back to the Gaunt house... And sees morphin, there is an air of disappointment there because he wanted it to be grand because he didn't know anything about his past but i really i I really don't think that Rowling is trying to she, I, she doesn't i I'm get the impression she doesn't want people to even feel sorry for him a little bit, particularly the scene when they're at the orphanage because yeah. he's so horrible yeah, yeah the
2: the the young orphan uh, and arrogant Voldemort. he's
1: al- he's already arrogant when it's Dumbledore tells arrogant. him. That he's a wizard he's like i knew it i knew that i was better than everybody else yeah.
2: and he try he tries to command mm. dumbledore that doesn't work so he switches to sycophancy and um, trying
1: to manipulate him so
0: what does dumbledore see in him A uh, talent
1: yeah i think dumbledore sees you know i think he sees the potential that he could have gone another way but i don't think dumbledore is ever Because he even talks about, he was like, the minute he came to Hogwarts, I wasn't as charmed as him by anyone else. I was worried by all the behaviors that he'd shown me when we had that first meeting. I personally, I get the sense that Dumbledore is disappointed because he is so smart and could have been something else. But I don't think he actually necessarily sees like a a diversion in the past. Mm. I I don't think, I don't get the impression that he's like, this is the thing that made him that way. Uh,
2: You know, this is
1: the sliding door moment or whatever.
2: I think overall that makes that is a little bit disappointing. I think that makes Voldemort a less interesting villain, right? He's more Sauron than Darth Vader, mm-hmm. right? There, there, there are fewer ways in to understand his character if he is just a big sort of towering sociopath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's a bit of a shame.
3: Yeah, and he's and it ultimately, you know, he's not he's not the interesting villain. Like Snape is the interesting villain. and and Even as we talk about like Malfoy is the interesting interesting villain, but yeah, he's sort of the the driving force.
0: Well, and it's, and it's because of that, the, the fundamental archetype of Harry Potter, which is also star Wars. Mm -hmm. I will never tire of pointing this out is the part of the bad guy that lives in you. Mm -hmm. So literally in Harry Potter, Part of Voldemort is in him. It's literal in in Harry Potter, so it's a, not very subtle. <laughs> it's an archetype. There isn't a part of Harry in Voldemort. No, right? exactly. Whereas there is in Snape and Malfoy, which is why they're more interesting, right? They're the they're the other side of that coin that the big bad isn't. But the Emperor is Voldemort fundamentally, not Vader. Yeah, right. Yeah, you, you're totally right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then Sauron is. Yeah, who would be the, the Vader-Malfoy-Snape villain in Lord of the Rings? I don't
2: know as well. Maybe Sauron, perhaps, just because he's a or Denethor, character. Or Denethor, maybe. Yeah, Denethor, perhaps. Yeah,
0: those two probably. But... but Lord
2: of the Rings is even more black and white. Yeah, that's true. Than the... It's
0: explicitly Christian. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> any other thoughts on any of the characters that we haven't really touched on yet? I
3: thought this book was like fairly light on sort of the supporting characters like it it really kind Mm. of zeros in on Harry and Dumbledore and I guess Ron and Hermione in a way but even like as Lydia mentioned earlier like they kind of take a step back especially Hermione and like you hear almost nothing from Neville or Luna or even the other professors really like they're they're mentioned in moments of sort of levity in the book but I, I felt like for example in the fifth book i felt like the supporting characters really are kind of given room to breathe and they have they have real like personalities and they really contribute to the plot whereas this in this book i feel like they are kind of window dressing a bit or they're they're meant to provide a little bit of sort of relief from the main driving story of like harry and dumbledore and voldemort and snape and malfoy but it yeah they they feel lesser in this book is something i
2: noticed I would totally agree on that and in in particular I think Neville is the one who's done done day when do we find out, when do we find out about the prophecy in the fifth book we find out that Harry could have been Neville right mm. and in the fifth book Neville this kind of pathetic Idiot. Yeah, slightly bumbling. This brave character. idiot. Yeah, <laughs> this brave idiot, you know, goes to the ministry and, and and he fights and he does all these incredible things and
0: he puts his life on the line. He fights and, be,
1: you know, be, the woman who tortured his parents into exactly. insanity. He exactly. tells
0: Harry to not give up the prophecy Exactly. On the pain of his own death. Right. This mm. is, you know,
2: heroic stuff yeah. that he's doing. And then the next book he barely features. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. there is no moment where Harry and Neville come face to face and have a sort of bloody hell you know what mate this actually we're in each other's shoes we we, you could have been in my shoes Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i think that's a real failure and earlier someone mentioned harry being a kind of self-centered character i think the lack of interaction he has with neville after everything that neville goes through is the best evidence we have for harry being self-centered
1: yeah because like harry his parents are dead yep you know neville has to s- still can see his parents but they in s- in some ways that's worse yep. and also harry's got these two amazing friends who were there for him through thick and thin yeah who has neville got yeah
4: <laughs>
2: he's got harry and ron and hermione and luna and, and basically he... they all kind of want him to bugger off because he's a bit irritated <laughs> yeah and
1: he's got despite
2: the fact that he's brave he's
1: got like plants he's got professor yeah. sprout and he's yeah. got the herbology and that's kind of it yeah, I, I. He was agree. the
3: first to get his pod. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> his,
1: his snuggle off pod. Yeah, yeah I. Um,
3: his snuggle. It's
1: funny, pod. actually. We've been talking about this for two hours, and we've barely mentioned Slughorn, who is <laughs> yeah. kind of a big character in the book.
0: Every Clearly, every like book, there's a new professor. and yeah. yeah. he's the new professor yeah. in this one, right?
1: I think he's a fun character. Like, I think he's just so. I can just ima- I can just imagine him. He's very well realized in my yeah. head, and. Dan and I spend a lot of time listening to the audiobooks and Stephen Fry's Slughorn voice is just perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, And this idea of him in this fat man and his velvet (laughs) dressing gown with his big moustache like yeah, I just with his fingers love it. covered in pineapple in, yeah, in Chris, in, in dust. <laughs> yeah. yeah um so I just think that is and also like one of my favorite bits of the whole book is Slughorn's Christmas Party oh yeah. like I love you know we've got who are you going with all the love stuff is coming together we've got Hermione and I think Cormac McLagan is probably my favorite supporting character in the book he is just awful um, <laughs> and I love him and I think yeah. he's such a brilliant you mm-hmm. know addition he's a bit like like one of my favorite characters in the whole series is Gilderoy Lockhart, and he gives me that same like, "Oh my God, you are just the worst." Yeah, um, feeling, and just yeah. So I think the most great. unsolicited
0: opinions yeah. you could yeah. ever yeah. hope exactly. for. <laughs> they both, they both do that. Um,
1: but yeah, so the party, you've got the love thing. You've got a bunch of, like, lore, which I love. You know, there's a, a, a vampire is there, which is kind Sanguini. of... Sanguini. Sanguine is there. Mm.
3: Gwenog Gwen Jones. Gwenog Jones. have are yeah. not the one before. Yeah. Uh, but, um, but
1: the weird sister. So it's, it's like, I love the idea of this Spanguini.
4: party. And then that's also... <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. <laughs>
1: so that's, you know, Harry hearing, going and hearing um, Malfoy and Snape. Like, I think it's just a brilliant plot moment and you're getting just more of this insight into, you know, Slughorn just bumbling around or strutting around. He probably is around the dungeon, just loving being yeah. this spider in the middle of his in his way. And
0: that's a good um example of I can't remember if you or Dan made the point earlier, but I know Dan and I talked about it weeks ago text-wise about how these secondary plot points aid the main plot point all the time. I think you were talking I remember over text you're talking about like the bizarre yeah, or, or, well, or whatever it's called. Bezoar, be- the stone be-
1: taken from a stomach The Bezor
0: stone, and the love potion. You, you're talking about the bit where, where Ron gets poisoned. Where Ron gets poisoned, yeah. 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 And how right. these secondary things from the book, like the Half-Blood Prince book, which again, we have barely talked about, the thing that inspired the name of this yeah, book. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like that, the potions book that Harry has, telling Harry to, like, so really, like, Snape? helped save Ron's life if in a, in a way you know like that's that's how Harry knew about Absolutely. it Absolutely yeah yeah and Harry rem- and and then it's great writing why Slughorn has that in his bag cuz he took it from Harry from the class right? Yeah exactly you know just like all of that kind of secondary writing stuff that aids the main plot point Exactly, this sort of conflation Incredible of side if you like, yeah. in this novel, and it's
1: really Brilliant. and that bit where Ron, the bit where Ron eats the the chocolate cauldrons and is in love with Romilda Vane, is really funny. Yeah, well, it's, it's,
2: hilarious. Hilarious. it's like I exactly. love that. So and Harry's like, "Who are you talking about?" <laughs> so let's go through that. So, so Harry, Harry's the the, the new series, shit. <laughs> 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 exactly. Harry's Harry's the new sexy kid, he's the chosen one, so all the girls fancy him. And then it's mentioned several times that there's uh it's foreshadowed Ramil Vane is is found in the in the girls' bathroom by Hermione brewing up love potions or ordering, or, or, ordering love, love potions, potions from Weasley's from
1: Wizard Wheezes.
2: Weasley's Wizard Wheezes. Then we have the stuff with the Beezle. and then we have Harry's desire to uh, uh, get the information from Slughorn. And they all conflate in this one scene in Slughorn's office and it's just...
1: And it brings Ron and Hermione back together as well.
2: And it brings Ron and Hermione back together, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, it's brilliant writing from... um, Because now Ron's interesting. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah
3: exactly but yeah there's nary a wasted sentence in this book like Mm -hmm. i like rereading it there's even like when he's like hiding the potions book and he puts the 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 head back and then the, the diadem of ravenclaw from the next book is on top of that and like that that's not a wasted sentence like when he's in the room of requirement like with and he when he's running and he's like and he looks and he's like oh that's the old vanishing cabinet yeah, that yes, like Montague yes, vanished yes. in last year you know and like totally it's just like every mm-hmm. everything is either calling back to something or setting or something else up something, like yeah. it's just brilliantly put together it's really cool
1: and I also just speaking of the room requirement I would love to give another shout out to the house elves the hardest working members of the magical <laughs> world <laughs> without Dobby without Dobby I mean creature was there as well but without Dobby harry would not have known what you know malfoy was up to oh, yeah. um yeah. so you know shout out to lovely dobby
0: mm-hmm. dobby Boy. the r2d2 of the uh, Hogwarts exactly. world. <laughs> yeah well i only had two other quick points to make before we maybe give final thoughts on this book i don't know if this is literally the first book where we hear about him but i think it's the first book we get some sort of action from fenrir Greyback. The uh werewolf. And unlike Lupin, first of all Fenrir is actually the wolf in Norse mythology. So again, shout out to Rowling for knowing that. The name comes from I didn't from, know that. Yeah. I think he's Loki's brother in Norse mythology. I think I think And anyway, whatever that character you are is
2: at this moment drinking, drinking Loki, Loki lager. Oh,
0: goes around all around. <laughs> but there's a line where like as opposed to other werewolves, he will bite them anytime. And he prefers children, like he prefers to bite children. Uh, The line is, bite them when they're young, raise them away from their parents, raise them to hate normal wizards. And it made me think of a parallel from Animal Farm. Because one of the very first things Napoleon does in Animal Farm, the Stalin pig, in that is uh, take the puppies. Because puppies turn into dogs with big sharp teeth. And if you have the dogs with big sharp teeth who listen to you, you've got the power. And uh, then I had remembrances of like the Chinese Cultural Revolution basically being run by like 20 year olds. Like there's a lot of stories about 19, 20, 21 year olds killing their professors in China during the Cultural Revolution. And it's like turning young people against their parents is a big motif in um, observations about how tyranny can work. In a culture,
2: the vehemence of youth.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, I think in I think psychologists call it the messianic stage, uh, seventeen to twenty-three. There's a lot of moral energy in people in those ages, and they are willing to do a lot. I felt that. Yeah, <laughs> me too. <laughs> Definitely, me too. So that was just something I was like, wow, that's like straight out of Animal Farm. That's a little line about Fenrir, and then um, this is more about the book and Rowling's writing style, but. She is so patient in getting to the point in each chapter. So the one that I made a note about is like early when they go to Diagon Alley, over half the chapter is not about Malfoy or Borgin and Burks. But the point of that chapter is Malfoy and Borgin and Burks. But like they go to the different places and then they go to the joke shop. And it just is like she does this all the time, all the time. There's just these great little beginning parts in her chapters that only, like, in the last maybe couple pages we get to the point of the chapter, and yet I haven't been bored at all by what she's set up in it. It actually reminds me a little bit of the good Simpsons episodes, where the beginning of a Simpsons episode is nothing to do with the actual, like, storyline of a Simpsons episode. It totally shifts.
4: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, there's another example of that is when they go back to the burrow for Christmas, and, like, the point of that story is, point of that chapter is Harry and Scrimge are having no exchange, but you just get all this wonderful... World building of them, him being in the in the Weasley's house, and Fleur being there, and a phlegm. yeah, phlegm. and <laughs> yeah, Mrs. An Weasley, and Hermione, and Ginny, just hating her, and she's just being so obnoxious. Like they're all listening to Mrs. Weasley's favorite musician, and she's like, "Oh, that's thank God, a God that is like, over." <laughs> and a then, cauldron full yeah. of hot strong love, <laughs> and then Mrs. and then Mr. Weasley like cuts across and is like, "Anyone wants a nightcap?" Then, and I'm just a you know. That's a real like families <laughs> coming together, and that's just a really great part of like insight ah. into the Weasley's life. And then actually the main point is Scrimge are coming to see Harry. I,
0: that's a great point, but it also made me realize a question I wanted to ask you, Lydia, being the only uh, woman on this particular <laughs> podcast.
2: And therefore the voice of all women?
0: Yeah. Uh, the voice, well, the, the authoritative one at this particular <laughs> table. I found the whole Molly, Ginny, Fleur, Hermione dynamic in the house to be something like what it is when women don't like each other. <laughs> and yeah, it's quite I just don't know like how did you did that any of that resonate with you?
1: I mean it's quite funny cuz Fleur is a kind of obnoxious character in it's the book. Just, she just totally you know, is. she floats in with the breakfast tray that Mrs. Weasley has put together <laughs> and is like, Harry, it's like, "Ari, it's <laughs> so nice to see you." And also, I mean it's kind of
3: he is so brave. Yeah. <laughs> it's there's kind...
2: definitely something about her being French as well. Yeah.
1: So there's there's that there's the element of her being foreign Of her being very beautiful. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that's also in... The the actress who plays her in the film is, you know, she's good looking, but she's not this... She's meant to be, like, supernaturally gorgeous. And so there's a little bit of that in there. I mean, there's some elements throughout the books of Hermione not necessarily being particularly a feminist. She's sort of... I don't get the sense that she necessarily is thinking about, you know, lifting up all women to be... Or, like, supporting all women. I don't think the books on the whole are particularly feminist No, you know? actually this is something we talk about a lot is like what JK Rowling is a woman why is the main character not female mm. um, I'd be really interested to hear like why she made Harry male you know she is not male herself she didn't have male children well, like, it could be I,
2: something as simple as publishing pressure right yeah
1: so that it could be that or it could be that Harry and the main villain had to mirror each other and she did maybe she didn't think it was yeah believable that the main villain was female Mm. but sort of to come back to your point I mean I think it is particularly Mrs Weasley because Bill is the apple of her eye he is her eldest her handsome successful head boy son and there's a little bit of like no woman is ever going to be good enough for Mm -hmm. him and then also the fact that Fleur is obnoxious I feel like I feel like if you think about it in depth like Ginny should have given her a bit of a break. I remember Harry makes the line being like, "She was Triwizard champion. Like she's not an idiot." And they're just like, "No, we hate her." But they go on, to, you know, to appreciate, you know, at the end of the book when Fleur demonstrates that she really loves Bill and she's not, she's not with him just because he's handsome. And sh- through the thick and the thin, after he's attacked by Fenrir Greyback, mm-hmm. you know, and they get in a funny quip about how the British overcook their meat, which I appreciated. Yeah, that was. So yeah, it, I mean, I think it's fine. Like I'm, yeah, I just think the book's on. The books are not about women supporting women at all, really, at any point.
0: No, I mean, that whole segment, mostly at the borough, but a few other lines, is like, this feels like how women signal their dislike of another woman.
1: And being threatened mm-hmm. by a, another woman who is very beautiful. I think it's very normal that women often. Find a reason to dislike women who are very attractive because we are told as society that being attractive is the pinnacle of success for a woman Mm -hmm. to be beautiful and to be, you know, for people to think that you're beautiful and to be desired. So it's kind of basic in that Mm -hmm. account because it's like, but she also is obnoxious. So I guess that is enough of the reason. But I think Hermione throughout the book says examples of her, you know, turning her nose up. She thinks lavender is silly. You know, and she thinks Professor Trelawney is ridiculous Mm. and all these things. So I think she is not necessarily someone who come into her consciousness.
0: But Hermione is also pretty good at pointing out the boys she doesn't like either. Yeah. Like, I think she's But She's
1: not not necessarily giving... But gender politics is not something that we we know is an issue in the wizarding world, as far as I can tell.
0: Yeah, they actually seem to have figured out a utopia there (laughs) between men and women. Like, it's... Pretty equal. I mean, like the. Lots of female villains? Well, and their Quidditch teams are completely co ed. Yeah. And um, Jones. And it's mm-hmm. not like there aren't specific positions for uh, any gender, you know? It's so. Uh, yeah. Their competitiveness is yeah, but pretty I th- equal. Th- I think there's quite
2: a lot of times where girls are kind of criticized just for being girls. There's lots of sort of, ugh, women, eh? sort of, like, eye-rolling moments, you know, giggling girls. You know, Romilda Vane and, yeah. and Lavender Brown being silly and giggly and up to date, you know, and being fucking useless. And I'm just like, oh, I'll give them a break. Yeah. I, thought would, I would got a that, little bit yeah, bored of it.
1: G- Ginny and Hermione, I think, are painted to be exceptional women. Yeah. Like, most girls are like Romilda Vane. Exactly. Not like
0: totally Hermione agree. and Ginny, yeah.
1: which I think is. But then I guess... Well, Luna.
0: Mm. Like, Luna yeah. is still a hero, I think she's painted well, I, I guess I would say, I don't know how close to reality Rowling cared to be in actually like painting the ups and downs of the human experience, but like she also has a lot of negative male characters not just, like, villains, but also stupid. That's true. McLagan. McLagan is Malfoy. a great example. But, yep. like, Ernie McMillan is not yeah. a pleasant person in any Zachary sort of yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. All right, that's true.
1: Yeah, it's, it, it's, sorry. It's not that I think that Rowling particularly thinks that women are worse. It's just that I think that on the whole...
2: It's all about 90s.
1: Yeah, there's just fewer... And
0: for teenagers? Yeah. Maybe? Sure.
1: And also, like, Rowling is someone who famously now has quite strong views on gender politics and, you know self-proclaims herself as a champion of, woman, of w- women mm-hmm. and being a feminist. And so it's just, but maybe it's just this book is old fashioned. Like when did she start writing the, in the late eighties, early nineties, I think is when she started, when she started thinking about Harry Potter. Yeah, 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 So I don't hate it. I don't love that bit. I think it's funny. I think Fleur is a funny character and I think she does go on to have her redemption. I think it's they, it's Mrs. Weasley and Hermione and Ginny who have to back down because they realise they were in the wrong. So I think that's, that's good nice. at least.
0: I would, this is a totally different podcast, but I think, I think it'd be interesting to have a whole episode debating the theory of, uh, or the, the thesis that, uh, Hogwarts is actually a gender utopia. Like they've actually achieved equality and now what do people do when that has happened? But that's again. Question
1: that I do have that I've literally (coughs) thought of. Are there any mentions of head girls? We hear a lot of mentions of head boys. Is there a head boy and a head girl?
3: Is Penelope Clearwater a head girl? I'm
1: that, I'm also wondering that.
3: Mm Mm-hmm. There have been headmistresses.
1: Yeah, that, that have there have been a lot of headmistresses, mistresses, but that would seem a big. And there's oversight. one male and female one male, prefect. Yeah, so right? maybe like maybe there is a head girl because if there isn't, that would be a big.
3: Yeah, big I don't know for sure, I'm but I feel be like I head. feel like <laughs> Penelope Clearwater might be. Is she not just a prefect? Are they not prefect? Was Was
2: Percy a head boy?
0: Percy was head boy. Was he? Angelina Johnson was captain of the Quidditch team. Yeah, mm-hmm. so that's not like a hang up. Yeah, in this world, right? Anyway different podcast so usually at the end just to
1: confirm penelope clearwater was head girl
2: nice there he goes nice
0: nice nice, i usually ask a final final (laughs) thought on the book or the movie or whatever we're doing but i'm going to switch it up a bit i want all three of you to answer why is the half blood prince the best harry potter book i'll go first the
2: intricacy of the writing the foreshadowing the interweaving of the subplots, the conflation of all these stories and themes, I think it's just masterfully done. And the reason it's better than other than the other um, Harry Potter novels is that there are more of these subplots, more of these themes
3: washing around, mm. and they're all beautifully interwoven. To say something different than what Dan said, which I agree <laughs> with. Also, its I think it's in the complexity of the characters, the ones that are touched upon, like... We're talking about slughorn earlier you know he's he's the new professor but i have every book before the new professor is either good or they're bad you know they're gilderoy lockhart and they're you know kind of an idiot and a bad guy or they're ramus lupin and they're a good guy or they're Doloma, dolores umbridge and they're the worst and slughorn's just kind of this you know like he's got good gray. qualities he's got bad qualities but he's like very much in a gray area and i feel like a lot of the like scrimge in a gray area how dumbledore is acting is in a gray area snape's kind of in the ultimate gray area until the end mm. when you think he's bad and then it gets revealed in the seventh that he's good but the character they all feel very human and even harry feels very human in this book and i i really i feel like i relate to the people in it the most in this book
1: yeah i just it just is the one that is the least boring the I, I have listened to this... <laughs> sorry, at least... That is sorry. <laughs> sorry. No, no, it's excellent, but it is... I, have, I, think I, praise. I think I have listened to this book 15 times, mm. maybe more. Like, I just... And each time I listen to it, I just am on the edge of my seat. Like, that bit when they're going to the cave and I know they're going to come back and there's going to be the dark mark that I just think... I think the ending is the best ending of any of the books. 100%. I think it's mm. the best final... You know, section of it for the reasons I've spoken about before, and I, I just think the characters are brilliant. I think every, yeah, everything is written in really well. I like. I think the fourth book is more entertaining, mm-hmm. and I think is more fun. Like I, I think there's more whimsy there. There's more. You've still got the element of Harry still thinking he might be normal and he might just be going to They're school a and everything younger, might be okay. Yeah, yeah, more childish for sure. Exactly. But yeah, I just I, I think this is J.K. Rowling at her writing best and we'll, we'll go on to talk about the seventh one but I think there's so much like tying up of loose ends in the seventh book that actually a lot of it is like they did this and then they went there and then they did that which is kind of not doesn't necessarily make for a great novel but I think the sixth book is where she really gets to write in depth about all the different things that she wants to, all the different things that tie together. It's just great, and it is not boring at all. Yeah, <laughs> none it, of them are boring.
3: It's so tight too. like the previous two were both a thousand pages plus. I think the the end one is like nine hundred, and this one's like what like six fifty maybe. That's depends places. on the publisher. <laughs> it depends on the publisher, but it's certainly a much more. Yeah, the, lower the American versions are like, are, really? Yeah, like Holy I think shit. I think the fifth one's like eleven $1, hundred. Their have, font you, might you, be a big. Do you, bigger. do you guys have big font? Yeah, we got big font. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but anyway, this no this comment. Book, like <laughs> when you when you think about the the, the back four, <laughs> like the first three books are pretty short, and yeah. then the back four books yeah. are very long. But yeah. this one is significantly tighter than the other ones, and it doesn't feel like anything is lost in it. So it's just like every piece of it is important and it's just you know it kind of speaks to what both of you are saying it's just like she's so masterfully put it together that even like kind of wistful forgotten moment that seems secondary is like part of the story and it's really really cool how she Mm -hmm. did that and i've never really read another book that really just tied together like that
1: yeah like when we wrote about the fifth book i spoke for a little bit about grop and how i'm like grop is pointless yeah. <laughs> I, wish that Grawp, I wish the grop i wish the grop chapter didn't exist yeah. like yeah. the book in my opinion would be better if mm. Grope just didn't exist yeah, there's
2: none of that in the sixth. there's book, nothing is there? I, like yeah.
1: I'm, I'm trying to rack my brains the only bit that maybe you could have chopped out was maybe some of the stuff in the beginning when he's at the burrow in the summer like it's not necessary but it's nice yeah. it's pleasant like you love by the time you've got to this book you know all these characters so well and you love spending time with them
0: all of the burrow weasley harry scenes just add to why ron and harry are best friends yeah and ron and harry's best friendness is pretty compelling in the seventh book totally it comes in hot and heavy yeah and And when it's good it's so good and she's taking advantage of every little foreshadowing point of that i mean i I think i wrote it down molly has a line it was a lucky day when Ron sat in your compartment. He's friends with their family, not just Ron.
2: Yeah, still calls her Mrs. Weasley though, <laughs> rather yeah. Molly.
1: That's one of my gripes. They they one call l- l- Lupin Remus. <laughs> one of my grolps. Um <laughs> <laughs> but they won't call. He's she's just she's, she's always Ron's mum. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. but yeah, it was kind of awkward.
0: I feel all of your analyses. It's it's accurate and it and it feels right. Is the fourth book better than the f- sixth book? Probably not, but it's more exciting. I think you're right there, Lydia. Apologies again. I am going to do a Star Wars comparison. This book is Empire Strikes Back in Star Wars, where at the end of both stories, our heroes are alive and destroyed.
3: Yeah. You know? Evil has won. Evil has Mm. won.
0: How are we possibly going to overcome this dilemma or problem or villain? And yet... Both end on a, a mild upward sign of hope. Like this book ends with Ron, Hermione, and Harry committed to... And, and, and Hermione and, and Ron so gallantly and heroically committing. To, Harry doesn't ask them to. They yeah. volunteer. It's more cheesy in Star Wars, but at the end, Luke... We, he was dead to rights, but he's back, and Leia's still alive, and the droids are still there, and they know what they gotta go do. So there's like, oh my God, this is gonna be a great fucking finish <laughs> you know, after these devastating uh, defeats. My only, it's not even a criticism, it doesn't even rise to that end. I was, I felt a little bit like this is Hermione's weakest book. I yeah. think. You mm-hmm. know, she. We, we, you love her money. I so. love her money. <laughs> and rightly so. She's she still like got common sense. She's still supportive of Harry more than anybody else. Mm-hmm. But she probably should have taken Harry's points of view a little bit more seriously, given what had happened all of this time and what could be happening. This is not Hermione's fault. It's Rowling's fault that Hermione's never heard of vanishing cabinets before, even though she's heard of every other fucking thing that's happened in the wizarding world. Even they shoved Montague into one last <laughs> <Yeah>. year. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, um, and
1: also Hermione knows about it because she goes, "He could have really got hurt." Yeah, she was right about we have we've barely spoken about the Half Blood Prince and that book. <laughs> she was right yeah, about yeah, that. So you're he, right. That, that that's her big moment of being right, and the rest nah. of it is just her head being in a, a knot about Ron- Ronald. Runel Wazlib Runel Wazlib <laughs> <Runel laughs> I don't
3: think she's right by the half-up prince <laughs> that scene just when Snape is like <laughs> he's like this is your potions book yeah. and Harry's like yes <laughs> and he's like this is the one that you bought and he's like so why is have the name Runel Wazlib <laughs> yeah <laughs> Which <laughs> is like, it's a nickname.
2: So <laughs> so well foreshadowed
1: you know, earlier so,
3: with, with, with the so C, jokes. Oh I laughed God. so hard. Well, he does yeah. also so because
1: Hermione has to correct Ron. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. With, with, the, when, with the spell. The,
3: yeah, the, the, the spell checking quill. Want, yeah. Mm-hmm. Fantastic.
1: Snape is a great character. Oh, he's fantastic. Like, fantastic. like when he when he sweeps, you know, when Harry has sex and Sempronius Malfoy and he just sweeps and he's so calm and he yeah. just knows what to do. Mm-hmm. It's like I I want him on my team. Yeah. He would he's be so he would be competent. like my first, you know, if we're if we're doing like a, a, a picking a team, yeah. he might be my first choice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe Dumbledore, but I feel like that's obvious. I feel like I'm picking
0: Snape. Yeah. Well, he, Dumbledore's team captain, right? And and that's, and that's when he knows captain. that Harry has his textbook yeah. Yes. It must be when he knows that. Right? Well,
2: yeah. well also he, because he does this legitimacy. Well, he also doesn't.
0: They they have this image of the
2: book, you know, rises up in yeah. Harry's mind. And then he goes and does this Runal wazlib stuff. So you can just imagine <laughs> Snape, Snape, Snape being like, there, like You you've... little prick. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, <laughs> I know exactly what you've done. Well, also because
1: when they're at Slughorn's party and Slughorn is, you know, waxing lyrical about how he's this wonderful potioner. and even better know, than you, Snape. Snape <laughs> just looks at him and he's just like <laughs> Really? I never had the impression that I taught Harry Anything, yeah.
0: no need to call me sir, professor. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's a good line, that's a great line. Yeah. Is, is Harry smart. can't help his uh, smart assery, right. can he? yeah, they? Yeah. No. yeah. Well, I know what a nickname. It's <laughs> 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 oh, it's so uh, good. Thank you, friends.
2: Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Luke.
0: Uh, this has been a great marathon, my kind of marathon,
1: longer than the film. And that film (laughs) needed to be longer because they missed out so much. I don't think we missed out anything. And
0: certainly better than that. Anyway, Graham, Dan, Lydia, thanks. I look forward to uh, finishing this ride in the not too distant future. It's been exciting to read Harry Potter as an adult with all of the uh, tools I bring mentally and emotionally that I did not or would not have had as a child. I love these books and I love them from basically every angle and I love their flaws. I think I like Harry Potter all the more because they have these kind of weird, not plot holes exactly, but logic gaps of like Hermione not thinking vanishing cabinets kind of thing. Uh, that's very out of character for her that's an example we've talked about it last time plot holes are they the mirror that sirius gave uh harry in the fifth one or what like that he didn't use it in the fifth one i i find those gaps charming much more than galling in the overall uh, feeling of this so thanks friends mm-hmm. thank you everyone for listening this has been another episode of really true fiction and um may the force be with you